I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Camille Imbo. Camille is a 26-year-old OBGYN resident physician and suicide survivor. Between the August 2017 initial interview and this conversation, Camille has finished medical school, attempted suicide, and begun, begun her intern year of residency. We discuss the challenge of asking for help when you know how the system works, why the interviews feel like two separate people, and how she has grown so much in only a year. Before we talk more about Camille and this um, heavy conversation, really great conversation that we have uh, to re-interview, uh, I want to talk about my long-form Sundays posts. These are my weekly reflections of medical school from the very first anatomy lab to now uh, on paternity leave with my partner and uh, waiting for baby to show up uh, right around Thanksgiving. So on October 28th, 2018, I published On Laughs and Tears or Hospice and Palliative Medicine, a post-mortem. This week, I reflected on my experience with the hospice and palliative medicine team. I have learned so much from them, both the skills necessary to hold the hardest conversations and how close a medical team can feel. Then more recently, on November 4th, 2018, I published On Pseudo Paternity Leave or the Beginning of Interview Season. This week, I reflected on the beginning of the interview season, or really my paternity leave. I have begun nesting in earnest to prepare for baby's arrival. I have relaxed during the central downtime before my baby before my son demands my full attention. And so you can find those reflections in their full form at mnmwod.com. That's mnmwod.com or Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day, as well as all these interviews there. And uh, you can also search on Amazon for the collected editions on Kindle or in paperback. Uh, that's if you, The best way to search for it is if you type in physician education. It's called On the Education of a Physician, and I've uh, put up the first three years up there. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I hope you like it. I hope you dig it. Back to Camille. Camille is an intern, 26, and growing. Before Camille dies, she wants to live, to feel like she gave it her all, her little sisters to be self-sufficient and to have learned everything they could have learned from her, to love and to be loved, and to be in a space where she can provide love without the fear that she's suddenly going to take it away. When Camille dies, she wants to have lived a full life and to not have gotten in her own way. After Camille dies, she wants to continue to be present for people that need her. And in conclusion, Camille says, take each day as it comes and to really value every positive moment that happens. You don't need to stop yourself from enjoying what you can enjoy. So if you haven't, you know, kind of picked it up yet, this is a really great conversation. We, uh, um, so when I first interviewed Camille back in 2017, um, in August, that was sort of during her, not quite during the interview season, but uh, for her fourth year. But uh, right before that, you know, uh, I didn't really know her before that conversation. Um, and also I appended the initial interview at the end of this interview. So if you jump ahead to like an hour 50, something like that, that then you'll find the uh, first interview if you want to hear that one. And then jump over to this one to sort of hear uh, how time has passed. And so... During that initial interview, it was great. I had a lot of fun. Uh, we talked about a lot of we, – we got into some uh, interesting topics, and we, we laughed a lot. It was a very fun conversation. And, um, you know, looking back on listening to it uh, pr to prepare for this interview, I was really interested because it was uh, – you know, we didn't get into her views. She was very ev evasive in a very pleasant way about talking uh, about herself during the interview. And uh, more recently, I, f I read uh, that Camille has, you know, 
survived suicide, is posting about it openly. And I really wanted to dig into that with her and to talk about her experience with uh, the suicide attempt during her interview season and and just uh, what her perspective is on that, especially as an intern during her uh, OBGYN intern year. And uh, what does that mean and how does she balance that? And uh, we talk about how she recently called the uh, suicide prevention hotline and how that was a, an interesting experience for her. You know, she gives that number out to people but uh, has never really – known what is it like to be a person in need calling the, the hotline in a moment of crisis. So that was really, really a great topic to dig into. And uh, if you haven't picked it up already, there's a, there, we, we, if you ha- are easily triggered by suicide, I highly recommend, you know, listening to this on, on at a later date or never, because it's what we get, you can hear her. It was only about um, less than a year since the attempt. And so, or just over a year. And so, uh, but it's still very difficult for her to talk about it. And you can hear during one part, there's a long silence and there's a lot of, uh, you know, thinking that goes on during that long silence. So this is a really great interview because we hear about this physician suicide epidemic and how a physician is five times more likely to kill themselves than the average bear. And we rarely get to put a face to it because, um, Physicians, as a culture and as a medical culture, we tend to uh, – it's one of shame where we hide our weaknesses and we don't um, explain our vulnerabilities to others. And I think that this is a really powerful and valuable conversation just to be able to put a single face to this um, invisible um, population of people suffering with with depression and suicide, suicidal ideation um, because – people don't talk about it. And I'm so proud of Camille for being able to talk openly about this and to um, allow this con- this conversation to be listened to because I think it's an important conversation. And I don't want to, you know, imply that Camille it represents every, you know, all of the people, all of the physicians who have committed suicide or the ones that are suffering from depression and suicidal ideation now. But I think it's just so powerful to hear what is what is one person struggle like because you get all the training about mental health through going through medical school, but uh, it apparently doesn't help people. And I think it's really fascinating uh, and a really powerful conversation. Um, I hope that uh, you have buckled up, are ready for a really, uh, really great discussion with Camille Imbo on death once again. It is October 18th, 2018. I'm sitting here in my Coopersburg home. Uh, Camille Imbo is sitting in her Brandon, Florida home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Camille, what are the four prompts? I am. Before I die, I want. When I die, I want. After I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? I am an intern. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. What is uh what is that like being an intern because it is such a feared year in the the life of a physician. It is and I think I was overly confident going into it. <laughs> um, which it's funny because I wasn't. I I was very scared and talked to people about it but the I think when everyone was saying it'd be the worst year ever we we're like no it can't be that bad because I really did not enjoy medical school so I was like it can't get worse um and not to say it's gotten worse it's just different 
because the responsibility and expectations, the jump is wild, Mm -hmm. but the enjoyment of what I'm doing has also increased because I know that, oh, this is my specialty. I'm training to become this doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, And like these patients, these are my future um, patients. And so I I feel a greater reward out of it. And I think that helps the days go by more than they did in medical school, where sometimes I felt like we were kind of just going in circles. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's definitely a lot. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Um, and so you, you mentioned how you felt like you were overconfident. Um, and it sounds like there was a humbling process there. And I also wonder, um, was there like, what was that humbling process? And then was there a way for you? Could you even imagine with with with, uh, with, a, you know, full hindsight, how you could have better prepared yourself for that jump in responsibility or, you, you know, like other than just living it? Yeah, I mean, when I say overly confident, it's generally with a joke because I remember texting my second year, now second year friends constantly like, what can I do? What do I need to look into? Like, am I going to be able to do this? I don't know anything. This is going to be terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I went in being like, all right, everyone goes through this. It can't be that bad as long as I do what I'm told, do what I need to do try to read as often as I need to do and be where I'm supposed to be like that. That's it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of, that's medical school. As long as you are where you need to be, it it can't get any worse. While as intern year, because the expectations are so much higher, um, even when you think you are where you need to be, (laughs) it turns out you were supposed to be three different places at the same time. Um, So you're, I think what, the difficult part for me has been doing something wrong that I didn't even know was Mm -hmm. wrong or, and it's not even doing something wrong. It's usually not doing something because I didn't know about it. Um, Mm. Can you give a specific example uh, to kind of bring that to life? Um, It's kind of hard. So just kind of as you're managing a, you're managing way more patients. And so I'm trying to think of a more, so like I'm in OBGYN, so a lot of my time is spent on labor and delivery. And um, so as you're managing patients on the labor floor, you also get calls for triage, um, which is like our mini emergency room, um, where you're just kind of figuring, trying to figure out what this person came in for, what you can do for them. And so a lot of it for me ends up being a priority issue because I'll be like, oh, I've seen this patient, done all these things. And they'll be like, well, that one could have waited actually because this other one was way more important and you haven't seen them in an hour and a half. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I didn't know which one, how was I supposed to know which one would be more important versus the other? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, when writing notes of, different attendings want different things on their notes, um, Mm -hmm. certain things that they want ordered that are just kind of very person specific and things like that. So I've had to learn my humbling moment has not, has been to uh, 
not wait for someone to tell me how well I'm doing. In (laughs) fact, the only people who tell me I'm doing well are the patients and being okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, occasionally an attending will say like, good job about something, but I know that I'm really doing the minimum of what they expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is because I feel like residency is this point where, especially in my residency, because we only have interns, we don't have seniors, your expectations are at, you know, full on physician level, you know, your attending mm-hmm. wants you to work just like they're working, but then your knowledge is of a recently graduated medical student, <laughs> you know? Um, and I thought that when I did my acting internship, following the interns around and being given the floor for half a day, that um, because I was able to handle that pretty well, that I somewhat knew what I was doing, but turns out um, I was being lied to and <laughs> a lot more responsibilities from me. Mm. Uh, so um, what else there's the years you're an intern um Mm -hmm. but there's that there's a lot that goes along with that you're a recently graduated uh medical student Mm -hmm. um what else is on that list um i'm trying not to just repeat things i've said before you can repeat some of them we can kind of review recap and uh you know whatever whatever you're feeling i think i am 26 means a lot to me why um um because i'm happy to have made it to 26 um and yeah to just be at this point in my life um, and experience it, you know, as much as I can complain about intern year, <laughs> um, a wonderful feeling to have made it to this. It's, I've been looking forward to be a doctor um, pretty much my whole life um, <clears throat> and to have this highlight of my life happen at 26 is very exciting. Um, but it's also great to uh, look back through the years that felt like they would be my last and see how many more have been added to it. Mm. And yeah, I'm thinking of that like little uh, caricature of the uh, baby Camille uh, with a little white coat being like featured Dr. Camille, right? It's uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, why are you so glad to have made it to 26 because that is a relatively unusual sentiment most people at the age of 25 are like i'm going to live forever uh, i will never die so uh, what makes that sentiment different um well there's the I guess, clear and direct, um, you know, nearly ending my life last last year, um, which would have been before my birthday um, and before graduating medical school. So before having doctor being put um, in front of my name. Um, I 
uh, sorry. Um, yeah, so it, it's birthdays have uh, taken on a life of their own um, for me. They're not a, uh, I mean, I've always been someone who loves birthdays because my family will celebrate every single one. If you did not have cake on your birthday, <laughs> you missed out. Um, but they mean a lot more to me because the 365-ish days in between, some of them are a lot longer than others. And um, I know I always, it's something that I try to use as, let's at least try to make it to this one. Like, let's, mm -hmm. it's not so far, we can do it. And especially last year, because there were so many goals that I was about to reach um, around my birthday, because I graduated like a, a week or two before my birthday and all of that. Um, that, that was, I remember, a goal that I was just trying so hard to fight towards. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's something different. It's, it's like, you know, when you have chronic kidney disease, you kind of know your creatinine is like going bumping up and your kidney function kind of going down. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, each year that passes is another year of, of your kidneys filtering, you know? And um, in the same way, I, I, I see it in a similar way where if you have suicidal thoughts, like those thoughts just kind of keep cracking away and, and not that it's a progression, but just that like, there's a lot of, you know, the more you have these thoughts, the, the, it's not the risk, but just like, there's a lot, those thoughts can lead to some, to some things. And um there's like a, you know, just being able to keep enduring and keep going through that is, uh, you know, that's like half of my career as a psychiatrist is just helping people through those, those times or those longer days. Um, what was, what got you through some of those longer days that got you to 26? people, um, loved ones, family members, friends. Um, <clears throat> sometimes my own willpower, um, but when that would fail me, it really, really was other people around um, and supporting. Because um, I consider myself a very goal-oriented person, and I think most of us have to be to be in this career path. Mm -hmm. And this sounds terrible. <laughs> I debated telling the story. But um I remember throughout medical school, especially throughout fourth year, when I would be reaching those very low points um where I wanted to end things. I, this is like dark humor, um, but I would think that if you die now, your tombstone's just going to say Camille Imbo. You wait a little, <laughs> at least will say Dr. Imbo. Mm -hmm. And these last four years wouldn't have been a waste. 
Because mm. I was like, no one puts Camille Lambeau, medical student. Like, <laughs> MS4. <laughs> right. I was like, no one. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I was like, no one's going to care about that. Um, but at least, especially since it's something that I've wanted for so long, I was like, let's at least just get those letters. Let's at least get there. And I remember graduation, or at least the day after graduation, was an interesting, bittersweet moment because I was like, oh, well, now I have the degree. So what will be my mm, carrot? Yeah, like my statement to myself of like, well, let's at least get there. Um, so that has been an interesting process in itself. But then my birthday, as I said, was a little bit afterwards um, in real and in, in advancing in age just showed um, that I like it, it helped me close that chapter mm-hmm. in a way. And I can say, OK, all of these things happened when I was 25. You know, and it, it can make it feel like a past situation even though I'm still dealing with it um in a way I feel like I can attempt to disconnect with it and be like my 25 year old self was going through this Mm. Um, like new year new me Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah and And so uh, something that we talked about before was um before the interview started was the uh you know you were proud that uh you had reached out for help and one of those examples was uh calling one of the hotlines and um i wonder what is it you know there's there's this like big you know epidemic of uh physician suicide and it's always one of those like why is this happening you know it's burnout what is all, it's all these things um, but it's it's very rare to hear um, like personal accounts of of why of like what's going on like why like you know you got the big two shiny letters next to your name like what's what's going on and why does that make somebody so much more vulnerable and likely than the average person a blue collar you know worker um, and I wonder what like you talked about talking with uh, the person on the hotline and how they they kind of like had to ask certain questions and you kind of like I know I have to ask this question I kind of I'm, I'm I'm literate enough mentally health to understand what's kind of the, the basics of what you're doing but uh but also to kind of know what's going on but also at the same time to receive that same help yeah I mean I'd like to preface that I can't necessarily speak for every you know mm-hmm. physician who goes through uh, who deals with mental health because you know there are different reasons for each person um and there probably is a degree of it that's affected worsened or or affected by being in this career path because of just the stressors involved with it um but so yeah so with that aside when I was speaking to her we actually went in talking about this um and she mentioned that of one of the reasons she was glad I called because of how frequent it is to hear about not just physicians, but residents specifically, and even more so interns. Um, and often because of how a shock to the system that the big change is. Um, and I remember saying to her, um, 
I remember saying like, you know, I just want to help people. Um, like that's all I want. That's all I've ever wanted. And it's so frustrating to be impeded from doing that by my own self. Um, and so sometimes like my struggle with depression, it's actually frustrating more than it is sad because I know what's going on, you know, as I start sleeping less and eating less and having less energy and, you know, city capping, as I like to call it, um, I can recognize it. And then it's just a matter of my inner fight's ability to do something about it. And, um, the first one, I, I guess I'll kind of talk through the experience of calling the hotline. So the first step was finding the phone number. And I was humored that despite how many times I've heard it and given it, there's even a song that's literally named the number, um, which I avoid listening to. Um, I didn't just know the number. I <laughs> had to look it up. Um, and then when I called, um, you know, her voice was very soft and I was just my first worry was that it was going to be a lot of like automated messages of like press one to do this, press two. And I was like, I don't know how many of those I can go through right now. And I was almost like criticizing it as I went along. I was like, if there's too many of those, like I can't imagine if someone was literally on the edge of a bridge having to like press one to speak in Spanish, like that there's no time for that. Um, and they didn't have that. And then um, the lady who picked up was at first, you know, very sweet voice, tone, kind of the soft caring. Um, and I was, you know, I speak in my normal tone and um, I always explain to people, one of the reasons it's hard for others to tell what's going on with me, um, unless I tell them is because I don't suddenly become like super emo and, you know, soft and shy and everything. So. I was wondering if she was going to adjust her tone to have a normal conversation with me, or if she was going to still sound, you know, almost condescending, like she's talking to a little child in the, um, she adjusted her tone and was having a good conversation with me. She asked the initial questions of, um, on a scale of one to five, how likely are you to end your life right now? Which, um, was an interesting question to answer because I was like, I usually ask that question to patients regarding pain and everyone says 11. Um, <laughs> and I was like, I have to be very careful with this response because I know, um, or at least I can assume that there's certain steps she has to follow if my number is too high. Um, and so not that I was going to lie to her or anything, but I, I knew just kind of, where she was going with things um but then once we got past that and the first thing she asked was you know before we go into everything that's going on I need to get to know you a little bit better which I like that she did because I always was skeptical of the hotline um because I was like how's a stranger supposed to just talk to someone in mm -hmm. such a vulnerable place um you know like you go to the psychiatrist, soon to be psychiatrist all the time, but it, it's face to face, like doing it on the phone, especially right in the moment. I, I was always very skeptical of that. <clears throat> so her asking, you know, knowing that there's only so much that I can, that we can get to know each other in like two minutes, um, knowing, you know, 
needing to know how old I was, what profession I was in and things like that. Um, and then as soon as she heard that I was a resident, that kind of shifted the conversation a little bit because um, she knew of my awareness of things. Um, and she even talked about like, you've probably had patients go through this and have had to guide them through this. Um, so, you know, but doesn't mean that because you're there for other people that someone can't be there for you and that you still need to hear the same things sometimes, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's easy to give advice that you don't take. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I just remember being very thankful that I don't know if it's through her training or if I was just extremely lucky to have someone who's really good at her job. Um, but I was kind of, you know, we kind of reached a point in the conversation where I was like, imagine that you deal with this and you sit there and take these phone calls all the time. Like, would you be able to turn around and call your own company one day, you know? Um, and and so that that's kind of a part of the conversation we were having as being in the uh, the medical field, the difficulty of dealing with any medical issue, but especially a mental health related one. Mm. Do you feel like you will, if needed, call again? Um, I mean, I always hope that it's not needed, but you know, that's like the <laughs> thing I say to myself. Um, I mean, yeah, if needed, of course, and I'll feel a lot more comfortable about it. I actually wrote the number down this time and she gave me a specific Tampa number. So, um, which I don't, I didn't even realize that there were different numbers, um, <clears throat> for different areas. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just hope, like I said, that it was, that they're all equally as fantastic. Um, as she was. Okay, so you are an intern. You're 26. Mm -hmm. What else is on that list? I am growing. I know that's more of a ongoing thing than a who I am in the present, but I feel like it describes me in multiple ways what do you feel do you feel like you're growing into a new role do you think you are uh like what 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 are you growing from and what are you growing to Ooh. um I guess I'm growing from my life experiences good bad everything in between I noticed just with each moment and each new decision I have to make, um, which has had to come up a lot more often in the past couple months as a new physician, um, that I, how many of my past experiences I use and how that has changed me. Mm -hmm. um, and just noting even the smallest things like I, we have a medical student rotating with us and he's a you know, new third year. and seeing that difference and being and I remember talking about it with my mom of like 
I've grown a lot in since third year. And she was like, yeah, well, duh. <laughs> I'm like, well, in my head, I'm just as terrible as I was back then. You know, I can't tell, I can't analyze it on my own um, that I've grown knowledge-wise because as far as I'm concerned, I'm, consi- I'm comparing to what the attendings want of me. And I'm like, I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I look back, I'm like, oh no, I've learned a lot um, since through the four years of medical school, I've grown, um, you know, as I have like my apartment, I even look around and compare it to my first apartment when I first moved out on my own, which for me was um, when moving to med school and how it was a clear person, new young adult living on their own for the first time. Um, versus now where there's a little bit more of me put into it and I'm a little bit more, um, I guess, responsible maybe, uh, like made it more of a home, um, growing, making better financial decisions. Um, <laughs> you know, I like save now and things like that and pay my bills on time. Um, growing. From I think of you know heartbreaks and breakups and all that, and you know think of my first one to the most recent one and how I've dealt with them differently. You know how the first one I was like, oh, never love again, and it's the end of the world, and yada yada, of a teenager, but uh, being a little bit more stable in things now, um, and just growing to accept myself. I think, yeah. Do you know, um, like, how does it feel to be getting into that role of accepting yourself more? Like, what are some guideposts that you know? You're like, oh, this is this is where I'm growing into. Like, how does that feel? What are the like? What are some of the milestones associated with it? With accepting myself? Yeah. Um, I'm less mad about mad at myself mm-hmm. when I can't do something um not to say it, it never happens I'm definitely very often frustrated um and I realize that I'm a perfectionist that's something else I've just accepted because <laughs> I as I would love to say I'm a type b but then I realized that you know at the end of the day we're all type a's if we're in this field we're just less type a than others um And so just kind of accepting and not just, and I'm not just talking about knowledge things of like, oh, I didn't know this and I'm mad at myself, but also just kind of like, it's really everything of mornings when I wake up and have less energy and don't get certain things done that I thought I would, I I kind of just accept, okay, this is where I am today. And this is part of who I am. Of I'll have lower days than others, and that's okay. I've gotten this far, so I can still accomplish things. It doesn't make me a complete failure to not have been able to read 20 pages today, or to not go on a run today, or not wash my dishes today, or not be able to get out of bed today. Um, whatever it is, just accepting, just dealing with myself a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I feel like I lost track of what I was saying. 
Um, yeah, I guess that's that. <laughs> My train of thought completely disappeared, but yeah. That's all right. Maybe you'll pick it back up. Maybe you won't. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are an intern. You're 26. You're growing. Is there anything else on the list? Or do you want to start talking about before you die? I guess we can move on. All right. How do you finish that next prompt before I die? I want. Um. I mean, in a way, I actually don't really necessarily want to change my answers, but I guess just really putting emphasis behind it. I think last time I said I want to live, um, and in that, I guess I would add I I want to feel like I gave it my all. So yeah, so before I die, I want to feel like I gave it my all. And what does that look like? Um, it's a daily thing of, you know, many goals, like getting out of bed to large goals of, uh, you know, things I want to accomplish, whether it's, you know, residency is my full life right now. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) things I want to accomplish at work, um, around the house or, you know, with, uh, family, with friends, uh, throughout the world. Um, but I think of, uh, not letting down eight year old Camille. Um, I was such a dreamer and had such gigantic goals um, and no one could tell me no. And I think that I'm often the one telling myself no. Um, So trying to move past that and get back to putting myself out there and, and not even feeling confident, but just experiencing life more openly. Do you, do you know what, like the process of, of like living your life more openly? Like, is it, is it, are you doing that now and will you be continuing that going forward? Is it something, will it be a little bit different than how you're kind of going about now, like in terms of giving it your all? Um, like what uh, is it like, are you doing it now? And you just want to keep chugging is what I mean. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's definitely, I haven't been doing it as much as I want to. Um and I don't even know how to explain it because it's not just like, oh, there's certain hobbies that I want to do and that I don't do as much because that's part of it. Like I love to write and I don't do that as much. Um, I don't run as much anymore and little things like that. Um, I don't leave my apartment as much anymore. I'm pretty much at the hospital or at home. Um, but it's kind of just... I think when I compare it to is that when I was eight, the future seemed full of possibilities and endless. 
and full of accomplishments. While I think now it's all my goals are met with a what if and a maybe not mm. and a uh, a lot of fear. Um, and so I think I just want to make sure that I have put myself forward, like, you know, poke my toe into the pool a little bit, was it dip my toe into the pool a little bit of all these things that I've desired to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that there's. Oh, it's ironic to say so that there's no regret, but if I'm dead, that I, I assume I can't regret things. But um, yeah, I guess for others left behind, knowing that all the things I used to say I wanted to do, that they felt like I was living my life to the fullest. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't really know how to explain it. I. There's just this fear of all of these things that I deal with holding me back. And I think that's sometimes what um, surrounds me and takes over and it turns into a why bother? Because I'm like, if all, if just getting out of bed is gonna be this difficult, how am I gonna go and do say doctors without borders for example which is you know a big goal of mine like that's it seems you know from like I can't even get myself to go for a quick run you know how am I going to get back out there and do all these fun like marathons and all these things that I, I really wanted to do um, when I feel like nowadays my goals is just to stay alive on a daily basis and I don't want my life to just be reduced to that you know I want to actually live because what's the point of fighting to stay alive if I'm not doing anything with that mm. have like you've posed a really good question but like have you made any headway on the answer to that I think it's kind of just a daily thing that I just like, all right, this is what we're doing today. I'm going to put my all into it. Often it really is just going to work, but you yeah. know, I'm going to really experience um, each of my patients and really be present, try to get out of my head. Um, I remember for a day I made a goal that I was going to say hi to everyone that I ran into um, and not be so closed off because, and you know, it led to a lot of great conversations, um, meeting new people and just being, a, and that's like what it means to me being alive, like actually being there. Because I think I often feel like I could easily not be here or wherever I am and things would just go the exact same way. Um, I feel like, uh, kind of like the movie Ghost, where it's kind of like he's, He's there and like sees everything and is experiencing everything, but like life is going on either way. And so sometimes I kind of feel like I retreat in that way. And so 
the goal that I put forward is to get out of that. Um, which is interesting to say because it's, again, it's not like I'm shy or anything. I am present physically. Um, but I think I can mentally shut down and not experience things and then get out of work and then come home and just call it a day. And I've been trying to be a little bit better about experiencing every hour of the day and making something out of it. Um, making something of my one day weekends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I, I paint more often and express myself that way. Um, and so just getting out of my head is really, I think, the first step that I've worked towards so far. So you want to live and uh, really be present um, mm-hmm. before you die. Uh, what else is on the list? I want my uh, my little sisters to be self-sufficient and to have learned everything they could have learned from me. Um, yeah, I they. We're 10 years apart, 10 and 11 years apart. So they're almost like my children to me. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, I'm like the cool aunt. Um, and so they're, they are two people who mean so much to me and that I feel like I owe them so much. And so a lot of my goals rotate around... I don't really know how to explain it. It's not like them being proud of me, but of um, having something to look forward to and look up to, because I can see that they're, although we're not going in the same footsteps, you know, they're not going to medical work or anything like that, but it's kind of, they see just, you know, quick 10 years ahead. It's a lot harder to look towards like my parents, for example, and picture themselves at 50, but it's a lot easier for a 16 year old to be like, Oh, at 26, this is what life is supposed to be like and all of that. And so I think that, you know, kind of going back to the last one, if I live my life to my fullest and do all these great things, I can show them like, Hey, look at what you can accomplish. Look at what life can be like. Um, And then not even just accomplishments, but you know, if they're having a hard time with something, if I pull it together, um, I can show them that they can get through anything as well. Yeah, with that age gap, I see like an interesting. Ooh, I, I I see like an interesting mix with like a uh, maternal like I want to make sure that the my children or like your younger sisters are like they're in a place where they can be their own persons, and I and I'm at like at a like a handoff point, and uh, but I also see like that like role modeling aspect that you're trying to describe um present in there so it's an interesting mix of feelings there that you have for your sisters yeah yeah no it's it's always hard to explain because it's a very interesting um age difference where I can very easily remember being 16 but I also have grown enough that I can know you know um 
basically what to do better <laughs> than a 16 year old did. And like, for example, I'm looking forward to, I told my parents that I want to be the first one to teach her how to drive. Um, and little things like that, that I'm like, I cannot afford to miss out on this. Um, I, I feel like I owe them that. Maybe I owe myself that. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing it for myself. Maybe it's a selfish thing. Um, are those wow. are those now the things that are like your wait until you have doctor on your headstone? Kind of. I know they are. My sisters are always the number one thing that go through my mind when I'm having a low point because. My biggest fear and my biggest shame would be to have them be sitting in front of a therapist because they lost their elder sister and having to be dealing with that and having their life path be altered by that um, and ruined by that. Um, not that there's ever an age where that would be easier to deal with, but I it definitely would not be easier to deal with at their age now. Um, How close do you think they are to that self-sufficient point? I guess it depends on the definition of self-sufficient because theoretically I'm self-sufficient, but that's a lie. <laughs> you know, I think it's a... It's more of like where their understanding of the world is a little fuller, um, <clears throat> which I guess the older someone gets, the more everyone around them looks like a child, you know? Like I think, okay, once you get past your teenage years, you'll understand while my parents are probably like, once you get past your twenties, you'll understand. And I'm like, so what age do you understand? And you probably, you know, die at nine, you still don't understand anything. Um, but yeah, I think when, I think one of the things that changes when you aren't, when parents aren't fully responsible for you anymore and you're not just doing what they're telling you to do and all that, and you're kind of making your own um, decisions, your own goals, creating your own path. Um, yeah, I think that that's where that change happens. And I look forward to them reaching that so that we can have a little bit of a different relationship. I can let them in a little bit more. Um, and we can be each other's support in a way. Right now, do you feel like you are, um, are you open with your history and, and uh, struggle with mental health uh, with your sisters or do you shield them from it? Um, I definitely shielded from them. Um, I mean, they're not dumb, so I know that they know things. Um, I don't remember where I saw it. It was, a, it was a long time ago, but uh, my youngest sister like wrote something. I don't know if she was like writing a journal and had left it open or if it was just a side note somewhere. Um, 
but um, she had written something along the lines of my older sister is really sad and I don't know why. And I don't know when she wrote it and in reference to what specifically. Um, and that was hard to see. Um, because I, I know that, you know, if I think back to my teenage years and whatever my parents were trying to shield me from, it's not like I was you know, aware, unaware of things, but I constantly struggle between how much of it to open them up to because I don't want to stress them out with it all because I don't want them to feel like it's something that they need to be burdened by and try to help with because um, it's a lot for anyone. Um, much less a 16 year old. Um, yeah, so I, I try to shield them from it, but I also am open to them in the sense of letting them know that despite all my accomplishments, I'm not perfect and it is hard. You know, and so that when they are sad and um, going through something, they can understand that it's okay. I um, always tell them to be open with their emotions and to feel out loud. Um, and partially because the last thing I want is for them to deal with this. And I don't know what the breaking point was for me, per se. So I try to look out for it for them. Mm, there's a lot to unpack there um and there's this like idea of like you would you want your one of your sisters to cope with their mental health in the same way that you have coped and and there's also this idea of um you know you might try to hide it and like you said if your parents shield you from something you still pick up on enough like you're 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 sponges and yeah like at, at any age and you you're it's it's the 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 subtext is there but the the details might be missing and so it's a very interesting thing of, of like uh especially in that kind of like parental role of like let me shield your eyes but you can still see through the fingers a little bit mm -hmm. yeah i uh just because i don't know how much that they can know before it affects them negatively or too negatively um, like with last year's um, ordeal, um, like I didn't want them visiting me in the hospital because I just didn't feel like that was a setting that they needed to see. But then it's not like they didn't know I was in the hospital. You know, it's not like we were like, oh, she's gone on vacation, you know, no, like they knew. Um, and my little sister had written me a letter of like telling me to feel better and um, she can't wait till I come home. And I don't know. And this is something that I'm working towards. Like, I don't know what they know, actually. Um, 
and I and I don't know how to open up that conversation because part of it is about what is their understanding of mental health and mental illness and I don't want to scare them you know um that's a scary topic I don't want that to be on their minds all the time I don't know interesting because uh, it might already be on their minds you know and uh you know if you, when you say like uh how much do they know it's like who better to teach them than that, a doctor and their sister um yeah. just uh just something that's i find very interesting and i wonder did your sisters still continue their practice of sending you a, like a journal entry yeah they did that for a while um it kind of changed because they're homeschooled now. They went full tennis academy. Oh. <laughs> and they told me um, all we're going to text or email you is that we went to tennis. <laughs> so they're not as regular about it anymore, unfortunately, um, as they were when they went to school. Um, I think it's actually been a while now. It's probably been a month or two since they've sent me one. And part of it is I also live closer and see them a lot more often than I did when I lived in Pennsylvania. So there's less of that feeling of being completely out of their lives as I did before. Um, but I, you know, it's kind of hard to convince teenagers to keep doing things. <laughs> I try to tell them to keep it up just because I know that anytime I look back on previous writings of mine, um, just seeing that growth and experiencing that is really interesting. So I kind of, I save all of their emails um, and kind of wanted to wrap it up and give it back to them at some point later on in life. Um, so yeah, that's something I, I, I want to get back into for them. Mm. So before you die, you want Oh, I forget what the exact wording was. Do you remember? I too. Uh, <laughs> oh, you want to live more deep. You want to like be, um, you want to like be more present in the living. Yes. Yes. And um, you want your sisters to be in a, like a, a self, uh, yeah. you know, in a good place. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want before you die? Well, my third answer last time we talked was to love and be loved, um, which I still want. Um, I'm just not in the mental space for it, but it, it is still a desire. Uh, family is so important to me in having my own, like, you know, future family is something that I would regret not having. Um, there is a lot of fear associated with it of, if you can imagine all the fears I have with, you know, what I share with my sisters and the fears I have of them ever being alone or not alone, but not with not having me one day of doing that to a child and, you know, husband, to people who, whose life revolve a little bit more around me um I think that would be the biggest disappointment and that's not something I want to put on anyone 
Um, and so it's this weird balance between not pushing myself away from love and making myself more alone, but also <clears throat> I think, I, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt people. Yeah, I guess before I die, it's more of I want to be in a space where I can provide love, which I can already do, but without the fear that I'm going to be suddenly taking it away, if that makes sense. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, there's a like a like a, almost like a like a, a weird like sense of dependency on the love. Um, like if they need it um, and they and it is withdrawn from them, what happens to them? And um, but also is is just giving love is that enough, or do you need to always kind of be there to always provide it in the future? Um, that's also another tough question because we never really know when we're going to go. Um, yeah. And I mean, like you're about to be a parent. Um, congratulations. Thank you. Way. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the, that feeling associated of the guardianship uh, of this is mine. <laughs> I will protect it at all costs. And, um, like, I already feel that for my sisters, and they're not my child. I can't imagine growing something for nine months and then, like, I always said I would never be like my mom, who's extremely overprotective, but I think I already see it happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I get why as I get older, because you just, I mean, this is a bit of a deviation from what we're talking about, but like the uh, Parkland shooting, for example, and I just like brought up massive topic right there, but um, that was 15 minutes away from where my sisters went to high school at the time. And um, I was actually in Costa Rica at the time, I believe. And I remember being like, holy shit, I, would, I don't even know what my reaction would be. I, I don't even, like when I look at those parents now, when they come up on certain news events or, you know, politics, whatever, and how they appear very calm and are able to talk to people about it of like, please change the laws, please do something about this. I like, I don't know if I could be that calm. I'd be like, those were mine. Those were my babies. I can't even picture it. I will derail if I try to even picture it. Um, and so that sense of protection from when they can't defend themselves as little babies, you know, children, to when they're out there even more as teenagers and boys get involved in all this crap. And like, I can't protect them from heartbreak. I can't protect them from failure. I can't. Um, you know, as I talk about, protect them from mental illness, you know, protect them from themselves. Um, so I guess I just fear if I'll 
have it in me to provide that amount of love and protection for a future child because I want to, but I'm struggling with so much for myself that I don't want to, um, what's the word? Take away, like how much I'm supposed to give to them, you know, to my future family. Mm. Yeah, that, uh, that risk of suicide is just a specter that's kind of just like clouding the future for you, huh? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, like I said before you started, like I don't talk about it, um, but it's, uh, it's a, like when uh, <clears throat> people ask how I'm doing or whatever, I feel like I'm better than I was then or better than I was at whatever low point. It's like, well, yeah, I'm not per se actively suicidal right now or whatever, but the whole overall feeling never goes away in the sense of, I almost feel like I don't know when I'm going to wake up and feel like complete shit and undo everything that I've worked towards. Um, and um which sounds like it's very random and it's not, you know, there are triggers that come up and I've been better at identifying and I've been better at dealing with and not letting myself fall too quickly. If something happens, um, um, but yeah, it's, it is a, a cloud, an ongoing cloud that I kind of, like I said, with the, when I, or I don't know which answer it was to, before I die, of like just living through on a daily basis and just experiencing life as much as I can while I can and hoping that I don't get in my own way of it because there's a lot I want to do. How do you finish that next prompt, when I die, I want? I don't even know how to approach that. Do you know how you, do you know what you don't want when you die? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't want to have disappointed people, disappointed myself. You know, I don't want to have given up or lost. Um, I want to have lived a full life. And uh, I want to not have gotten in my own way. Like we talked about last time um, about my, you know, religious faith and beliefs and all of that and how I often um, 
I believe that I have a purpose on this earth and all of that. And, you know, that God has a, a reason for putting me on this earth. And I, my goal is to not be the one who's like, yeah, I think I've done enough. This, this is good enough, you know, and, and talk myself down of like, this is about as much as we're, I'm going to accomplish anyways. And the rest is just going to suck anyways. You know, like I, I want to push myself to, um, really experience all the things that I know that I can experience or could experience. Have you thought much about the moment of transition from life to death? A lot. Tell me about some of your musings. I don't know if it's good, though. It's, to me, I picture it as an incredibly peaceful moment where it's just all of this goes away. Um, which is, a, you know, technically a bad thing <laughs> for me to see it that way. But um, actually what I think the most about is that moment when you know you're about to die and it can't be stopped but you're still alive and you like you it's you know like right there whether as you're taking your last breath um as whatever other gruesome things that I could probably muster up um and what I always wonder is if my last thought would be oh shit there's one more thing I wanted to do that's something I think about all the time um, I, uh, in October of last year, I remember being in this place where I wasn't sure if I had died or not. Oh, Lord Jesus. Um, sorry. Okay. Um, All right, this is like a lot harder than I thought it would be. Uh, yeah, I um, was out of it. And um,
I couldn't tell if I was having like an out of body experience while I was in the hospital bed and like watching my mother hold my hand and all of that um, and wanting to talk to her. Um, And I remember thinking of everyone that I hadn't said goodbye to. And I remember thinking, this is not as peaceful as it should be. <laughs> um, but as I would be in and out of it with time, I realized oh, I'm very much alive, just not um, fully physically okay yet and because I remember a lot of people you know the first question was like oh do you regret doing that and how do you feel about it and that was hard to answer because it, it because the worst experience of it was that middle space where I wasn't sure you know because the whole point is to reach that peaceful state and so to be in this place where I think that I'm gone but I'm still so worried and sad for my family and friends like that was that was the worst part of it all of that that was the worst thing to experience by far um, and what yeah what have you learned about like getting to that about from that low of that experience of that like just watching and seeing how much kind of hurt is happening as a result of that um what have you learned from that experience i think it's something i'm actively learning because there are the wrong things that I learned from it, which was to not drag anybody into it, is how I would see it for a while. Have I felt bad of, like there's a lot of people who, not a lot, a few friends that I had called that night who, you know, for whatever reason weren't available. And I never have let them know that I called them because I don't want them to feel like, oh my God, if I had picked up my phone, whatever. You know, I don't want to spread guilt. I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I didn't want my mother to feel like she had failed in some way. I don't want all these people who have been so wonderful and reaching out and being there for me that if it fails to like feel like they failed because I feel like this is, you know, my battle and they're like my armor. Um, but I'm realizing that that's not the way to approach it because even though it's quote unquote my battle, the whole point of, you know, loving and being loved is building the support system and, you know, we're all in this together type of thing. Um, and not being like, I'm it's like a daily repetition of I'm not alone, you know. 
So I think that is what was to learn from that. Um, as much as I waver back and forth from it, depending on <laughs> how my mental state is. Um, but as I said, of I've been getting better at it in the last six months of knowing I'm not alone. Um, that at this point, people who say that they want to be there for me either have been really lying for a long time <laughs> or at this point genuinely mean it, um, which I believe they do. Uh, and appreciate it beyond what words can put out there because I can't fight this on my own at all. Um, like how I was saying, I don't know if I said this through, during the interview or before, how I was saying like, oh, I could... I didn't need to call, I don't think I need to call a hotline because I'm a medical professional. So I could look in the mirror and tell myself what I need to hear. But in that space, mental space, I can't, you know, I can know sicky caps all I want, but like I can't tell myself that everything's going to be okay and all that, or else I wouldn't be feeling depressed, you know? So I do need someone else to say it um, and to step up. And so it's okay to have those people and so in that space I kind of didn't even answer your question when I saw everybody going through that um it just showed me um I guess that I mattered ish in a way maybe <laughs> <laughs> what a very tepid way to say I matter. <laughs> uh, that's probably not a good thing. It's something it sounds like that you're working on. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, when you die, you want uh, to not disappoint others. Um, mm -hmm. What else do you want? Like what... Uh, what do you what do you want in those in that in that moment of transition? Um, I want to be happy about it. Um, I am obviously not afraid of death. I think it's just what we are all talking happen. Um, I'm a little too not afraid of death. <laughs> um, but so I. I if I picture myself on my deathbed, it's not going to be a fear of, oh my God, I'm dying, but I want to be like at peace with it in the sense of, yes, this is the right time. This is how it was supposed to happen. Like it's okay. You know, um, I, even if I don't accomplish everything, um, but knowing that I, uh, did it the normal way I guess and just smile at that the people surrounding me as I'm taking my last breath isn't from a uh, disappointed feeling but more of like I don't know the, the normal feelings of losing someone in the appropriate way I guess. Not sure if that makes sense. 
But I, I just like pictured like a, a smiling sense because I know when I was in hospital, I definitely wasn't happy about the way things were going. So here it's kind of just a okay, you know, oh my body is giving up on me. Like my I I'm done. Like my purpose is accomplished. Mm-hmm. The end. This is the end of the book. You know, I'm not just like ripping out pages all of a sudden and you know, like reading it a series. And uh, the first book ends on a cliffhanger. And uh, like I have this book that I read years ago and the author has not written a second book yet. And like, it still angers me to this day because I'm just like, how, what, this, what is this? <laughs> and I refuse to reread the book because I'm like, I'm just going to reach this cliffhanger again and be so disappointed versus reading a series and it's just a beautiful ending and everything comes together and all the ups and downs of it. And you're like, I'm sad that it's over, but like it ended perfectly. Everything that was supposed to happen happened. And so that's kind of how I feel about my life where I want the people around me to be like, I'm sad that it's over, but we experienced her the way we were supposed to. I experienced life the way I was supposed to reach whatever purpose that I was put on this earth for. And I'm content. Good stuff. How do you finish that next prompt after I die? I want. Um. Hmm. So I really want to believe that um, you can continue to be present in the people who need you, for people who need you, like how I believe my grandma is present for me. Um, Because there's so many times when I'm just like, I just really need her. Um, and, And my belief that she whether you want to call it an angel or a protective force, whatever term you want to use, helps me get through it, that she's not gone, gone, you know? So I want to be that for the loved ones that I leave here and still be an encouraging presence and get them through whatever they need to get through. Did your grandmother, um, did you experience her during that stay in the hospital in October or prior to it? Did I, like, was she alive during that time? No, no. Did you, did you sense her or or sense someone similar to her in that? Uh, It's a good question. I actually... I don't know. Um, I mean, that time is a, a strange time because I was a lot in and out of it um, and wasn't fully there. Um, I don't remember having a moment like that, hmm. which I know is it, it seems opposite of what it should happen. I, I don't 
because I'd like to believe that she was there and that was the reason I was saved um because there was no one physically there to stop everything from happening and yet um you know and yet I survived and so while I may not have been in the mental space to experience her maybe you know she was uh spiritually there to to help and make that all the the phone calls that happened and the 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 course of events that went down without me even you know doing anything maybe that was that i don't know what uh how far in the future do you think Mm, that's a great question because i often have these moments if i plan something a year in advance you know like how i talk about what i'm going to do next summer i uh back to the dark humor thing kind of chuckled to myself and I was like if I make it to next summer which is a terrible thing to say but um uh and so it's both a little bit of both of just because of how the world works I do have to plan a little bit in advance for certain things um you know like save I'm saving up for a trip in the summer that I really want to take my family on and so I have it to look forward to, but I also try not to look too far in the future because I know that every day it is um, a full experience. Like every day the sun rises is an accomplishment for me. And that's, that's more than enough. You know, I also can't help but look forward to I'm done with residency, but <laughs> that's more like in the passing of oh, when will this be over? And as things are happening, looking forward to things, but I think I don't physically picture myself too far forward because it. I I'm not sure why. I guess I'm not. I don't really know how to explain why. Because you know, it's not like I'm saying that it's not going to happen. It's more of, uh, I don't know if I just don't want to put that pressure on myself and I just want to get through the day, the week, the month. Um, yeah. Is So you can't, you, you think in the future, like sometimes like in, in like the, the, it sounds like the, months to years at least to get to the end of residency but um how far can you think like how how deep into the future can you imagine uh in that weird you know vortex of all the possibilities I mean there are times when like for example like back when I was in a relationship I you know pictured you know married life and like children and all that fun stuff um it just gets hard because so here's the other thing that's constantly on my mind um 
one of the things that shook me the most was uh, Robin Williams' death. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly how old he was, but he was in that mid, you know, life phase. And I remember thinking, while he, you know, obviously has completely different issues, all of that, um, or had different problems, that's a long time to deal with this. That is a a long time to deal with it. And that I think that's what holds me back from thinking so far ahead because of with what I'm heavied by now, it's almost like uh, when working out, rather than thinking about the end of the workout, I'm like, okay, if I just can get through these 10 sets, because if I actually think about the amount of weights I'm going to lift through the entire hour, it sounds like a lot. And then it's like, there's no way I can do that. You know, wow. It's like, oh, no, right. I lifted, you know, 20 pounds in a, in a row 20 times and that's good. And I'm going to do it again. But I, you know, got through it once. And so if I think about that in the sense of years, my hope is that I get to a place where it doesn't feel like such a weight so that the years feel a bit lighter. Um, because I remember my first thought with Robin Williams was really like, so you can be that much older and have lived that much of a life and have accomplished that much and still circle right on back. And that's, that's, just, that's just a lot. Um, um, and that's kind of the thing, like when I say, you know, I don't want to give up or anything like that and like enjoy the day to day. I think the other side that people don't see when they're like, oh, keep fighting. It's like, it's tiring. It's like mentally exhausting. It's not fun. And I think the conversation that's not had is how can we make that fight less intense for people so that the peacefulness of death doesn't seem as intriguing anymore. Yeah, there's a saying, um, I wish not for a lighter load, but a stronger back. And it yeah. sounds like that's uh, that's sort of in line what you're going for. But I mean, if you're carrying a, a heavy load, even with the strongest back after 60, 50 years, it's still it's a lot of distance, a lot of work to have done to get it there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's like when, uh, you know, there's a lot of like phrases that I, as I've gone through this, that people naturally spit out mm-hmm. when trying to help. And I don't blame them, but it just kind of circles. And a lot of them, it's like, you're strong. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I am not, <laughs> not that strong, or at least I'm not strong enough, you know? And so, I guess for me, it's the opposite of that, uh, as you said. It's like, I don't wish to be stronger because I don't want to deal with this load. Mm. 
you know? So me getting stronger is just saying like, oh, that's fine. You just keep dealing with this and you just keep getting better at dealing with this. And I'm like, oh, that's not fair. Like, I'd rather not have this to deal with. Like, why why can't I just be having a good old chill life like everyone else? Like, why, why do I have to go around being strong? Like, you know? Um, so like, no, I, I, I don't think that I am. Um, and so, yeah, so that's going back to the original question of like how far I picture, you know, like if I'm barely able to think about children because of the fear I have, you know, of, um, disappointing them or leaving them or hurting them grandchildren is just a whole nother level that I can't even put myself in I'll be very proud of myself if I have grandchildren Mm. when I have grandchildren I like that I like that shift I'm working on it (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and it's uh you know it's also like uh the 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 continuous struggle of suicidal thoughts is um and mental health is it's sort it's it reminds me a lot of um of addiction and the recovery process of just every day stay sober just stay sober for one more day and then Mm -hmm. like in for for uh mental health it's just just stay alive for one more day and Mm -hmm. um sometimes that's all like that's that's the level of of commitment you need in order to either stay alive or stay sober and then a lot of the times it's the same thing Um, right yeah and it's um the one thing that helps me a lot that people do say, because one of the shames I have is, you know, being a physician and dealing with this. And I always felt, or not always, but for a good amount of time felt like it made me inadequate to be in this field was that dealing with this actually helps me help people because I understand them a little more. Mm-hmm. And addiction um, is something that's very difficult to understand if you're not going through it. And I'm not going through addiction. Um, but I know when I talk to people and like telling them to quit smoking, I always, you know, my tone always changes because I'm like, look, I know that this is way easier said than done. The struggle of not smoking is way harder than just lighting a quick cigarette. Like it's just super quick and it's over before you even know it. And then you feel better instantly. So why like go through that fight and all the like the amount of work that goes into not doing it in that moment is nothing in comparison to what it could be and so I'm always like I get that you know I mean I don't get maybe exactly that because I don't smoke or drink or do whatever drug that they're trying to get through but I I get that um you know your brain can fight you despite how much you know that it's bad for you and that 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 balance of what you feel like you need despite what you know is good for you is a lot harder Um, and so I think my one thing that differs with addiction is you know it's like and one of the reasons I want to work with like younger populations is to get them to never start in the first place Right. And so that the difference with that and the whole mental illness thing is like, I don't know 
what I did to start all of this. I don't, you know, I didn't throw away my serotonin on purpose. Um, so that that's, I guess, the one thing. But yeah, it, it has helped me talk to patients dealing with any, actually not even just addiction, but like any sort of struggling thing a little bit better of like, I get a lot of things are easier said than done, especially when it comes to willpower and when it's things that involve like the thought process of um, situations, like people are, would be amazed by how much the mind affects everything. Yeah, there's a uh, there's an idea of um, the like the wounded healer that um, you need that like the best healers um, in like traditional cultures have gone through a period of severe illness or sickness, and that allows them to shepherd people through illness back into health. And um, it's something that that's always stuck with me because, you know, the people that have gone through the fire are the ones that can guide others through the fire. Um, and maybe not the same fire, but, but at least they understand what it's like to stand in that heat. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing. Although like I've noticed that if it's too close to home, mm -hmm. then it makes it difficult again. You know, if I have a 20 something year old in the hospital, for suicidal attempt I like shut down and not because I don't want to help them but I think I like place myself where they are um and I see everything happening around them and reimagine that that's what was happening and I hear the conversations happening that aren't always the most uh the nicest things said as you probably know um so that makes it a little harder so it's far away enough that I can connect but not so close that I'm like oh that that was me mm. yeah and it was so recent still just passing that first anniversary yeah that was weird like I I woke up and well actually what it was was I have a uh, my walls are making noises. Um, I have um, uh, the this app, the Time Hop app, that like shows me, you know, whatever was happening a year, two years, six years ago. And so it showed me some texts from uh, the night of, and then the day that I got out of the hospital three days later. Um, and it said a year ago and I was like in disbelief because it doesn't feel like a year ago it feels like I'm re-experiencing it a lot and like as you saw like I when I go to talk about like I and I still haven't that that was probably the most I've talked about it to anyone of um the actual event and the actual moments um you know, I don't want to diagnose myself with another thing, but like, it's almost like a mini PTSD of like, just getting back into it. Like, I feel like my entire self, like I go back to where I was and back into that emotional space and everything. And it's above everything is very scary. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm definitely still dealing with it. And and then like the hotline thing that I talk about, that was what a month ago? 
that wasn't that long ago. Um, and that's kind of what's interesting about, you know, as I've become more vocal about this, I think that that makes people think that I'm better. You know, especially I remember when I got out of the hospital, uh, yeah. someone texted me or asked me, are you better now? I was like, I was, I said, yeah, but in my head, I was like, no, <laughs> does not switch on and off like that. I didn't have pneumonia and then got antibiotics and now I'm better. Like, you know, no, if anything, I'm almost worse in a way because I, now I'm have to deal with this on top of everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and that was in the midst of a lot of changes going on, you know, during fourth year. So I never got to sit down and like, really think about all of it. Um, yeah, so the days go by quickly, but experience wise, I, I feel like it wasn't that long ago. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's why I want, I felt like this was, uh, you know, only a year since the past interview, but I feel like a lot, like I mentioned earlier, like a lot a year has happened in that, in that 365 days. Yeah. Um, and so we've been talking now for about an hour and a half, and uh, I can tell that this was a very different conversation than the last one. The last one was a very bubbly, fun, light one, and this one I could tell was, it was a challenge for you. And I really appreciate you um, taking that challenge on and being so vulnerable and open and um, willing to figure out how do I say this, you know, and uh, how do I say that in such an activated state. So, again, I really want to thank you for that. and. Um, I want to give you the floor once again to address the audience, um, whether it is uh, somebody who is dealing with suicide, uh, maybe the, the death of a family member or uh, thoughts themselves, or, or maybe it's your sisters listening to it. Or maybe this is you at 27 listening to this interview and being like, what, what's, uh, what's 26-year-old uh, Camille going to say to me? The floor is yours. I just, uh, I guess to anyone listening, whether it's myself, anyone else would say to take each day as it comes and to really value every positive moment that happens, every laughter. I hope that my biggest fear is would be to, not my biggest fear, but one of my fears would be for someone to listen to this and end up feeling terrible. Um, whether for me or about themselves, I want to highlight um, the jokes, maybe as morbid as they may have been, the laughter, you know, um, can't see me smiling, but the smiles, because you're already dealing with a lot, even if it's not, you know, as massive as depression, even if it's just a small thing. You don't need to stop yourself from enjoying what you can enjoy. Yeah. I like that. I like that message a lot. Uh, Camille, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Camille Imbo on death.
Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week we sit down with Camille Imbo. Camille is a 25-year-old fourth-year medical student, an older sister, and a black woman. I met her during a select session this year, and the rawness of her laugh put her on my radar. During this conversation, we discuss the importance of names and how they change identity, the politicization of blackness, the inseparable mix of purpose and potential, and the soulmate bond between herself and her grandmother. Before I talk a little bit more about Camille, I want to talk about my long-form Sundays posts. You can find those at mnmwa.com, Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day. That is M-N-M-W-O-D. There you can find On Clinical GIGAF, originally published on August 6th, 2017. This week I reflected on a patient that I really didn't like, and she didn't like me either. Through this encounter, I picked up a new tool for loosening up tough patients, as well as a newfound respect for the physical exam. Then, on August 13th, 2017, I published On Time Compression. This week, I reflected on the passage of time and the sensation that it is accelerating. Events in life and the clinic demand processing and learning, but they keep coming and I am doing my best to keep up. I don't reckon they'll slow down for my sake, so I guess I'll just buckle up. So check those out. Those are the the weekly reflections I've been posting since the first Anatomy Lab of Medical School. I've been publishing those writings on Amazon under the title of On the Physician, on the Education of a Physician. You can find that both in the Kindle format and the paperback format. Just go to mnmwad.com slash physician, and you'll be able to find all that good stuff there written, uh, organized very well for you if you want, just want to read it online. But if you want a physical copy, I highly recommend check, checking out the Amazon links there. Anyway, Camille is Camille. Camille is 25, Camille is black, and Camille is a medical student. Before Camille dies, she wants to live, uh, she wants to be happy, she wants to love and to be loved, and to see the world. When Camille dies, she wants the people around her to be okay without her. After Camille dies, she wants eternal joy, and she wants to hang out with Jesus. And in conclusion, Camille says, figure out what matters to you, because the world throws a lot at you. It's easy to get bogged down in thinking that you in thinking what you need to be, what you should be. Figuring out what you want to put out there in this world, what you can put out in there there in this world, is what, at the end of the day, will get you through any type of situation. So that's a nutshell of this conversation with Camille, but we talk about so much more. It's a really lovely conversation. As I mentioned earlier, the uh, the la- her laugh is what kind of what put her on my radar. And uh, she asked me, actually, she asked me after... We fit, wrapped up this interview, and we were sort of like, I was on my way out. She was like, hey, what? Uh, why did you want to interview me for this podcast? And, uh, you know, the, the first reason was, you know, she's uh, the easiest reason, and I think the most superficial and, like, almost a non-reason is because she's uh, the only black girl in, the, in her select class. It's, a, you know, a unique perspective. I interview a lot of really lovely white folks and um, a whole bunch of brown folks, but it's, you know, very... I, I, I've, I've recently like uh, qualified and quantified the interviews for On Death, and I found like, oh, there's just a lot of white people, not a whole lot of people of color. 
And uh, I was like, oh, that'd be a great, she'd be great for that. And that was sort of before I really got to know her. And uh, after the select session uh, that I'm thinking of, I heard her laugh. And uh, this is sort of the real reason why I wanted to interview. And I couldn't really articulate it in that moment when she asked me why. But this, her laugh is really what drew me in. It was, uh, it's something that laughter is such a, it's such a really interesting look into a person. It tells you, it can tell you a lot or a little bit about a person. Uh, whether they have got a really weird laugh and it's funny or they've just got like a very stilted and uh, I don't know just a unique unique laughs are just so so beautiful my partner Mackenzie she has a laugh that uh is very distinctive it fills up a room and it's like a whole belly it uses her whole body and her whole face and her whole mouth to laugh and um it's been earned it's an earned laugh you don't get that la kind of laughter that whole like full body laughter uh just f I mean you do when you're a kid. When you're a child, all, all, most children tend to laugh like that with the whole, with their whole self. And somewhere along the way, we lose that and we sort of hide it. And uh, it takes uh, usually something tough, something difficult to regain that big whole body kind of laughter. And I think I've I've earned my my whole body laughter. I know Mackenzie has earned her whole body laughter. And uh, after our discuss, after talking with a little bit with Camille and about after hearing her laughter at that select session, I knew uh, very quickly that she is somebody that has earned that laughter. That is not laughter that comes easily. It does after you earned it, but once you, but it, it you have to go through something to kind of earn that kind of laughter. And she's definitely somebody that has. I think it comes through in this conversation talking about the relationship with her grandmother, the uh, the bond that they had, and, and the, the vacuum that was left after her death, and even the non-vacuum that was left after her death. Um, we go into that in this conversation. We talk about her being a black girl, growing up in predominantly white areas and trying to figure out what does it mean to be a black girl before the age of the Williams sisters, before uh, Michelle Obama, before a black president. What does it mean to be a black person in America? Uh, that was... Uh, some of the things that formed the crucible for this for this lovely human to become the 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 laughing open person that I interviewed for this podcast. I think that you will really love Camille. She's a uh, you know the the last interview I did with uh, uh with Manny Manny Singh uh, that was a really great conversation. But it was all it was so much in the head. It was so cerebral. It was so planning. It was so much thinking and rationalizing and and. Uh, using logic and this conversation with Camille is so so much in the heart it's so heart focused it's so much about feeling and and presence and embodiment and I think that it's the lovely contrast between the two not to say that one is better or one is worse but they're just two um two really good representations of very different kinds of people Manny very cerebral uh Camille very very um like soul and heart focused and it's a very cool very cool uh, contrast just between the two weeks and um, and their experiences are so different too as well. Uh, talking about their uh, Camille comes from a Catholic background faith and uh, Manny came from a Sikh faith and uh, just just the way that they kind of colors things and uh, and makes you uh, see the world a little bit differently is is a really really wonderful thing. And so I'm really glad that I got to bring Camille to you and uh, this was also like the real first time that I actually sat down and had a conversation with Camille and she's somebody that I'm really interested to see what she does with her career with uh with her life as a physician and as a lovely human being whether she does uh do Doctors Without Borders whether 
she does figure out all the ways to help people for the rest of her life, I think she'll be a very cool person to keep tabs on. So um, I hope that you've already started your tea, already started drinking your water, already started uh, eating your food, whatever you however you like to consume this podcast along with your information and your life. Uh, just I hope that you got it going because this is going to be a long, lovely conversation with Camille Embo on death. It is August 8th, 2017. I'm sitting here in Camille's Allentown house and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Camille, what are the four prompts? I am before I die, I want. When I die, I want. After I die, I want. Exactly. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? I am Camille, <laughs> and um, I don't know if you want more details. Well, that, what does that what does that mean to be Camille? Is it the is it the the French origin of the name that's really like binding to you? Like what part of the the word like? Because it's just you know what like six letters, seven letters, seven seven mm-hmm. letters. Thank you for doing the math for me. <laughs> <laughs> what about those seven letters is a uh, part of you? Um. Well, what's interesting about my name, as I mentioned, that it's French and. I was born in France, so is pronounced Camille, and that's what I was known as for half my um, life until I moved to the western half of the world <laughs> um, and started learning English. And so, like the pronunciation of my name changed, which makes me feel like my name changed. Mm-hmm. And so now only my family calls me Camille, and like a couple people who decided to like try it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's. It almost, like, in my memory, feels like two different people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I, like, reflect about from time to time. Of, like, it being interesting. Same with, actually, my full name. Because um, my parents got married when I was eight. <clears throat> so I used to just be Camille Loga and I'm Camille Imbo. Because um, I added on my dad's name. So it's like I literally completely changed mm-hmm. as a person. You, like, shed and, yeah. like, are new, like, this other whole bug. It's, mm-hmm. it's a... It's names are weird, yeah. and then also the, like the pronunciation of names are weird, and I can relate to that as well because uh, Eugene is an American. It's like a Western English name. It's got a lot of corollaries in like Russian, like Evgeny um, or Eugenio in Spanish, and it means like from from the Greek like well born. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why my parents named me Eugene is because it's like kind of this weird like Venn diagram of like English and Korean names. So uh, it's in- a male name in English, but a, a female name in Korean. So, but it's like, it's pronounced Eugene. Okay. So it's like kind of, they were like, oh, it's close enough. Right. Uh, but when you Google Eugene Kim, you'll get a lot of like either like Korean pop stars or like a bunch of like American, like Korean American dudes. Mm. And so it's this very interesting thing. And, my, and so it's very similar to like, you know, like what, the way the pronunciation kind of like messes with your brain a little bit. Like uh, I grew up Eugene and the only person, like the only people that would really, like the only person that would call me Eugene was my dad. Right. And uh, he, especially when he was mad. <laughs> and uh, Mackenzie, uh, she's recently started to take in the call me Eugen. Really? Yeah, like to like kind of take back the Korean part of it. And uh, but that's like kind of like it's like it's this weird like ah, I have to think about it a right. little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's, names are are like an odd shifting thing, and uh, especially to have like your whole like the whole chunk of it switched, but not just like the front part. It's mm-hmm. a little odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird, but. I guess that makes it part of my life experience too that you should know so much about what I've been through just by my name and mm-hmm. its changes. <laughs> uh, based of going off of the name, uh, do you uh, 
foresee yourself taking another name for, uh, for instance, like your spouse in the future? Oh, yes. I foresee myself throwing out my entire last name <laughs> because this whole hyphenated thing is the worst thing that should have happened. I don't know when my mom put that on me when I was eight years old. <laughs> Besides the fact that it means that my family members and I all have la- different last names. Like my sisters and I are all Imba Moga. Mm. My mom is Moga Imbo, and then my dad's just Imbo. <laughs> so there's that already. Mm-hmm. And then we all decide to spell it or arrange it differently. So I usually just go by Imbo because it's easier to pronounce and just less letters to type. So if I sign up for something, I just put Imbo. My mom obviously is very intent on having both names in there. So if she ever signs me up for something, she puts both names. But sometimes she puts a hyphen, sometimes she doesn't, sometimes she puts a space so there's a lot of times, like, for plane tickets, she'll buy a plane ticket oh, no. for me, and I'll go look myself up, and they're like, we don't know who this is, and I have to try, like, four variations of my mm-hmm. last name, mm-hmm. um, and I've actually not gotten financial aid once uh, oh, through USF, because <laughs> they're like, we don't know who you are, because it didn't match all mm-hmm. my, like, other paperwork, <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully I marry someone whose last name is not too crazy, but yeah, I'm throwing out the whole thing. <laughs> Um, the only question I have about that is like if I become Dr. Imbo first and having to like change that and adjust and all that. Oh, but, like professionally, that's right. a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the only hard part about it. But mm-hmm. meh, I'll, I'll live with that. I might shake, like make it one of my middle names, if anything. Oh, right. um, but yeah, now I'm so tired of the hyphenated life. <laughs> <laughs> and you've already gone through a couple iterations. Like, what's a third? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm over it. I, I, I don't feel too attached to my names at this point. Uh, did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood? I did. My family is um, Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the mom's, my mom's side of the family is very Catholic. And my dad is... Um, I can never say this right. Protestant? Protestant. Protestant, there you go. Mm, um, every, every now and then my French accent comes out. Literally <laughs> <laughs> like one word out of a hundred. Um, but granted that I wasn't like technically raised with him. Um, so my background is Catholic. Yeah. Mm. And actually my middle name, Christelle, means daughter of Christ. So. Really? Mm-hmm. I have never, maybe I've never heard Christelle before, but I didn't know that. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what uh, what is your relationship with Catholicism now, and uh, is it important to you going forward? So, my relationship with Catholicism specifically is little on the fence. I consider myself more general Christian, and then my Catholicism more of like a cultural aspect, kind of, um, yeah, just like with all of the... Um, like not rituals but uh events associated with catholicism and like i still go to mass and things like that but then in my own spiritual life and my personal relationship with Mm -hmm. god i don't view it with all the backgrounds that catholicism brings on um there's a lot of like it's a lot of balance between work and faith and you know doing things and that's something that I decided to back myself away from um part of it I like I went to a Christian high school um and Catholic junior high and elementary school 
And then when I graduated and went to undergrad, uh, my parents were a little like more let go with me and kind of like do what you want. You know, if you want to go to church, go to church. If you don't, whatever. Mm -hmm. And on my first day on campus, I ran into a Christian club and on my own decided to join it in like, and it wasn't like Catholic or any denomination, but mm -hmm. it helped open me to like a better understanding of just like a direct relationship with God and like mm -hmm. what it enhances in my own life without all the extra things that come with like being Catholic per se. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, it, like the the I I like the 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 pomp and circumstance of like a big Catholic mass mm -hmm. is there's there's a lot like it's cool there's weight to it like the Latin every once in a mm -hmm. while it's like neat. That said. It's it can almost get in the way of like an actual spiritual experience of of like what is going on or is it like are we just going through the movements right yeah. and that's how I feel about it and that's why I backed away like my grandma um, actually was a nun and um, obviously got out of it or she would be my grandma um, but she was someone who's known to like walk around with a rosary like twenty four seven and like mm -hmm. silently be praying no matter where we were what we were doing. And my mom is also very Catholic, um, but like I know sometimes I come, I have like an issue, and I bring it up to my mom, and she's like, "Okay, say this prayer nine times." And I'm like, um, "No, I'm not gonna do that. That sounds <laughs> extremely silly. Like I'm gonna have my own, you know, conversation and prayer." But like I, I find prayers like a conversation with God, not this like official thing that you do mm -hmm. and you follow. Um, and I think I just go to mass because it, it's like a cultural thing for me. Like mm -hmm. it's what I'm used to. I know what to do. But yeah, I I don't associate it with like my personal spirituality mm -hmm. because it really like I get to a point where I'm like, and we sit and we stand and we kneel and we sit and we stand and we kneel and we do this and we say that. We hold hands. We let go. You know, it's mm -hmm. like a step by step thing rather than like I could walk out of thing of the whole mass forgetting why I even went mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and actually since I've moved here where I go to a non-denominational non um, church mostly because I have friends who go there and I like going as a group mm -hmm. so um, I mostly go to mass like when I'm back home with my family mm. and, mm -hmm. and finding that group of people that you're able to have that kind of actual experience with mm -hmm. that's, that's like so much more Oh, yeah, it's really important, and it's, like, I had tried to go by myself when I first moved here and kept falling off the wagon, um, so once I finally, like, found other people who went, that helped me a lot, and it's, I find, like, it's part of the experience. I mm -hmm. definitely, and it, like, even, I believe there's some scriptures that say it, um, that, like, church is, like, it, I don't, I'm terrible at quoting scripture, but it's <laughs> something about, like, wherever there are multiple people multiple people praising is where you'll find God or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, without going word for word for it, I do feel that I get a better experience when I'm in a group. And I realized that after I joined the club in undergrad, where we would do a lot of like home Bible studies and like praying. Um, it was like my Friday night thing. And I really looked forward to it. Mm -hmm. um, and that felt less like a ritual and more like joining together and, it was like a spiritual yoga, I felt, mm. oh, which might be a redundant thing to say since <laughs> yoga is spiritual to a lot of people. But it, it just kind of, um, with the stress of the week, to like come back down and remember, mm. you know, who I'm personally dedicating what I mm. do for and 
be surrounded by other people who are in my same age group and going through the same type of stressors, but mm. understand like what our background, mm. shared background is. Yeah, and there's, I imagine also some aspect of like that for those Friday night uh, like groups that it, there was like some aspect of ceremony and ritual to it. Like you'd come together, you kind of do, maybe you'd eat or then, and then you pray and then you do your th- like that. It would, but there's like a process to it. Right. Kind of, yeah. it's not, but it wasn't like strict. It was just kind of like, these are the, just so we all know it's going to be happening. Like this is kind of the, the path that we're all going to be taking right. together. And I think that's human nature to anything you do. There's a process to it. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned as I've gotten older, not to sound so like <laughs> pompous, but like I always call myself a super adventurous and like random person, but like everything has like the same kind of steps to mm-hmm. it. And so, yeah, these Friday nights, there was an email the week before of like sign up for what you're going to bring as mm-hmm. far as food. And then we do that. And then we sing for a couple hymns um, and fun songs. And then we pray and then like read a chapter of something and like talk about it and mm. like just reflect on it. And then we'd hang out and eat desserts. So, <laughs> so the, a lot of it was food, <laughs> which I'm not mad about. But, but and, and the, even food itself is such as like a spiritual thing. Like you're taking oh, yeah. it into your body. It's not, I mean, it's not going in you, but it's going in you because mm-hmm. it's like in the loop, you know, but it's, it's like a such a, and if somebody made it for you with, out of love, it's just so much more tasty and delicious. Right, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Something that um, some a lot of people in that group, like a phrasing that they used is like, we're here to eat Christ today, which when I first joined them, I was like, what? Because <laughs> like, you know how there's all these different denominations mm-hmm. of like Christianity and some people do some like, really weird stuff. Weird? I know, I was like, which one are you? And eventually they explained <laughs> it of like, you know, eating is like, putting something and making it a part of you. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the idea of like we're dissecting whether it's the Bible or scriptures or whatever and like making it a part of us rather Mm -hmm. than just something like we read and put out into the world like we're Mm -hmm. um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like we're a vessel and we're filling ourselves Mm -hmm. with it. So Mm -hmm. I I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and like if you, I mean, like the, the, let's say the Catholic Mass that you're not, you kind of go to, it's sort of like almost like a, like a, it's 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 almost like a like uh like kind of like a feeding like it's, mm-hmm. you're you're just kind of like it's just being given to you rather than you taking it in like right. and that's like kind of like a very subtle difference but it's like that that makes it so much those Friday nights sound like really nice yeah those were really good times those got me through undergrad <laughs> so you are Camille yes or Camille uh, what else are you oh well, let's just go through the different identities. So that was mm-hmm. my name. Um, I am 25. What does it mean to be 25? It means that I'm old. <laughs> are, you, are you a quarter dead or a third dead? Oh, man. <laughs> well, someone's not a glass half full kind of person. <laughs> but I appreciate you think I'm going to live till I'm 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it just feels weird because I feel like I blinked the like good amount of my life away mm-hmm. you know like I remember being in my early teens and picturing 25 I thought I'd be like my settled and done and mm-hmm. you know white picket pants married child whatever and because mm-hmm. the concept of what a 25 year old is 
was different than actually living through it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like 25 just sounded like a really cool age. And then I realized that we're all just a bunch of idiots, really. Mm-hmm. Um, still figuring it out. Um, especially since my sisters are 10 years younger than me and her just turning 15. I remember so vividly being 15. Mm-hmm. You know, like it doesn't feel like it was 10 years ago. I remember my freshman year of high school, not in a memory kind of way, but like as if it was it happened just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's bizarre how much of life I've gone through. But then when something happens that necessitates that I be an adult and I see myself go through the situation really well is when I realize what I've experienced and how I've grown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's when I'm proud of myself and or when I'm around a teenager and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely past that stage. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll interact with, uh, with like, youngsters, and I'll be like, oh, man, I just called them youngsters. <laughs> like that kind of thing, you yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, ah. Oh. But it's also, like, uh, it's hard to realize how drunk you were on hormones bef- until you're out of it, and you're yeah. kind of, like, looking back, and you're like, man, you are drunk on hormones. It's so wild. It's, I have my little sister send me an email every day, kind of like a journal, so I can mm-hmm. keep up with them. And half of it is just like, oh, this boy did this, and like this one did that, and my friends did this. We're not friends anymore, and now we're friends again, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, life is so simple. (laughs) (laughs) And, and like, it's so, like, that, that, like, microcosm of, like, school and like people yeah. exactly your age and like different ages of puberty too and it's like all this weird just like just like these hot sweaty masses of bodies it's, just together figuring out like puberty strange strange thing the mm. way we have set up like the educational system mm. and mm. I, I think it's less for the education and more of just like a public embarrassment like <laughs> like let's have you all go through figuring yourselves out in like a mess and yeah it's crazy but yeah, yeah i remember uh, reading that like the public education system that we have like like co- colleges have been around for a while but like the public education system that we had is like less than 150 years old really yeah it is like largely an experiment and like we're still like in the first like we haven't even like gone back and tested the hypothesis yet wow. like that's how early you know like that would it. explain it because it's kind of a mess it's kind of, kind of a <laughs> it's definitely a mess <laughs> wait so what part of it is new like the breakup of the grades or like breakup of the grades the fact that like it's nine to five or like yeah. seven to three mm-hmm. and like um the fact that it's like all like like book based rather than like apprenticeships yeah. like that yeah. kind of like tearing like making it like a standardized sort of thing rather than having it be like oh you want to be a doctor come come with me do these like house calls for like the next three years right. you know yeah. that kind of thing it's it's such strange concept and I agree that it it's a mess <laughs> in the sense of you make everyone go through the exact same thing which puts in the assumption that we're all going to come out the same way, but mm-hmm. we don't. And for a lot of people, you know, if you're someone who can think through a little bit faster, you can figure out what you want to do, what you want to be, and how you need to apply yourself in mm-hmm. school to be that person. But if you don't, then it's kind of just this, like, it's kind of useless, mm-hmm. really, because, mm-hmm. like, what's the point of all these things that you're learning if you don't know what you're going to apply them for. And mm-hmm. 90% of the stuff we learn, like, we forget anyways. You know, mm-hmm. what was the point of geometry? You know, <laughs> like, what do I need that for now? 
Um, especially nowadays with so much technology that we have in the internet where you can access anything you want. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like arguments that there's less of a point to learn them, which I don't agree with. I, I do think that it's good to know stuff on your own. But I know like um, in Europe, a lot earlier in the educational stage, you pick what you want to do and then your entire education is based on that. Um, specifically in Germany, they do that. That's where my cousins are, <clears throat> which in a way makes sense. So then you're more like focused on what you're doing. But then what I do like about here is that you have more of a chance to change your mind and to mm-hmm. experience multiple things. Mm-hmm. So maybe a mixture of the two and like a balance. But mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, figuring out like, yeah, it's... It's a weird thing to imagine, like what, like if you have a kid, like what kind of edu- like what kind of, it's a weird, it like it's such a weird tipping point for things, like, um, like what kind of future are we preparing like new brains for? It's right. like a very, it's an odd question to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it assumes that everyone learns the same way mm-hmm. too. Yeah, know? it's sort of like you're growing like a field of corn, and then through the process of harvesting, you only pull out like ten heads of corn like 10 years like and you let the rest spoil right like you're just like there it's like is are these really the 10 best years of corn that you can get or are you pick or is this or is there something weird about this process that's happening mm-hmm. and it seems like we're leaving a lot of uh of like healthy young brains on the table to rot uh rather than like figuring out the best way to use them right yeah and rather to rather than like um shifting you know what to what they need we're mm. giving everyone the same mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know education but like just just feeding them the same like food per se to come back for a circle but that's not what helps everyone grow mm-hmm. and so only the ones that grow off of it you know become what society deems as successful but then like the other ones could have been successful as well if they were mm-hmm. um taught the same way it's the whole you know timeless quote of like the whole food if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, <laughs> mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you are Camille? Yes. You are... 25. 25. Mm-hmm. What else are you? Hmm. I am black. What does it mean to be black? Oh, United States of America. What does it not question. mean? Yeah. That's like your entire podcast right there. <laughs> well... Specifically, just to start from the statement itself of I said black and not African American, and part of that for me is because I wasn't born here. Um, so while I have like an American citizenship, I don't like I consider myself American by like government, but mm-hmm. you know it's not in my background, and I don't have a lot of the cultures of an African American, and there's a lot of differences mm-hmm. between a black person here, a black person in Canada, a black person in France. Or if you go back in Cameroon, like, they're all very different, which is the same about any other race. But I think specifically in America, because of this whole, um, uh, not simulation, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Like the whole melting pot thing and trying to make everyone, you know, be like, oh, we're all Americans, which is well and great. It erases a lot of backgrounds and mm-hmm. cultures that mm-hmm. people come with. Um, and so there's a lot of it that I don't identify with. And it's gotten me to a lot of <clears throat> isolation because it makes me not fit in in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, I'm not 
black enough for some people but then i'm still black and so i still get the like mistreatment of being black you know it's like i don't fit in with mm -hmm. the like i i tried to be in in the uh like black student union in college and you know a lot of it is cultural and because i didn't identify with it mm -hmm. it, it almost mm -hmm. makes me sound standoff standoffish mm -hmm. um and you know even the way i speak from like the get-go a lot of people will like talk to me on the phone and then meet me and they say it in like a very like casual way of like oh you don't look like what you sounded <laughs> and, like are you trying to tell me that you expected i was white like <laughs> what are you trying to say and it's partially because i learned english later on so mm -hmm. i don't have like a natural i don't know ad type of accent mm -hmm. um but then it also a quote not a quote but like statement i really like is like to be black is to be political um there's mm. just a lot associated with it especially nowadays but i think from day one like the moment you're born um there's a lot that's thrown at you mm -hmm. just based on the color of your skin um and a lot that you need to grow to be aware of um which took me a while mostly because the places I lived I was usually the only black person there you know so like my identity was a little bit confused in that mm -hmm. sense so well like I'm just like everyone else everyone treats me the same and any like microaggression that I got I just like waved it off until I got to college and like was more in these communities and I was like oh man I was around some shitty people <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like I heard some terrible things and experienced mm -hmm. some terrible things and I've been lucky that I didn't experience you know like shattering life-shattering um things but it there's th experiences that are just naturally tagged on to being black like no matter what it is you're doing um, and uh like my my like being like a korean male <laughs> i i get like this wonderful like now like as an adult i could get this wonderful shroud where i'm like kind of a person of color kind of not like white people mm -hmm. kind of like they're oh he's just you know whatever <laughs> like i can i can totally blend in with the white folks right. and then i can also like uh I, I have like an in with with people of color because they don't see me as a white person mm -hmm. so i get this like really lovely like kind of being able to like jump jump around in camps uh when i was growing up though i was the, the only white the only non-white person like in my grade basically mm -hmm. there were a couple like black kids a couple other asian kids and like we were kind of like, but we're all like, oh god, <laughs> like we're all kind of like um, acutely aware that we're growing up in New Hampshire uh, with a bunch of white people. And like I remember, like growing up, it was like a big deal that this kid was Jewish. Like this, mm -hmm. you know, it was like that kind of white. Yeah. Where I was like, oh man. And like so, my relationship with my with with my Asianness and my Koreanness, my yellowness, has like changed dramatically. What has your relationship with your blackness? Oh yeah, it's definitely, there's more pride associated with it. I mm -hmm. definitely can't deny that I grew up wishing I looked different or, you know, looked like my friends or mm -hmm. not understanding, you know, like, oh, what's so much better about her than me and, you know, things like that. <clears throat> and now I'm just so proud of the background that comes with it, um, the Cameroonian-ness that I have and just the, um, there's like this family relationship that I feel in general like through the struggle that is accentuated um in any 
person's like black background there's things that you talk i can talk about with another black person or sometimes with any other person of, of color that you kind of just understand because as i said it's something that as soon as you're born and put in this world there's like things you hear and you go through and experiences that you have to go through to get them, you know, like mm-hmm. saying, oh, you know, it's the only person of color in a classroom. Like that is an experience you have to go through. But mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. you get the general idea of, oh, okay, I see how that could be a little isolating, maybe whatever. It's like, it's not just the isolation. It's when you go in through that age where you don't, you're figuring out differences and understanding identity mm-hmm. and then, your ident being the only one that identifies in that way, so you don't know how to develop that identity mm. and don't know what to be proud of of yourself and what to celebrate and all of that. Mm. And that's something mm. that I've grown towards, and I'm more um, <clears throat> oh, like hardcore about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like loud and proud. Like mm. I shove it in people's faces. <laughs> <laughs> They think it's needed. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, is is that um, like f- like for for your younger sisters, like is that like how how is their relationship to their blackness different from your relation? Because it's also that age gap is yeah. is significant. Like it's like like if I were growing up now, it would be a totally different ballgame. Like there's fresh off the boat, like yeah. for like Asian people, and like there there are a couple like really strapping, handsome young Asian guys like mm-hmm. out there in Hollywood, and I'm like, where were they? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I mean, my sisters grew up with Obama as the president, and that's like what the that heck? is a completely like very famous, well respected people from the Beyonces to you know whatever, but like to Obama, <laughs> Michelle Obama specifically for women, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And my, especially my middle sister is way more political than I was at 15 and mm-hmm. is way more aware than I was. And I think part of it is like the internet as well. Mm-hmm. Just like, it's easy to find groups of people that you identify with, like without being surrounded by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also are in a school that's more mixed and, so mm-hmm. they're surrounded by more like self-love than I was. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the country or I went to high school in the country. Um, so like I wasn't just the black, only black kid in school. I was the only black kid for 500 miles. <laughs> 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 uh, and not even just black, like the only person of color for 500 mm-hmm. miles. So it, it just experience wise was completely different. But even when I hear them talk and even the way they dress and like, just looking at them, I see them accepting themselves a little bit more. And I, like, I remember I used to hate my hair growing up. Mm. Absolutely hated it. Hated, like, the braids that my mom put in. <laughs> hated wearing my own hair down and all of that. And, like, just absolutely hated it. And I just wanted it, like, straight all the time. And while my sisters, like, don't care, <laughs> you know? And, like, they'll do the whole straight hair thing and whatever. But I see them do it with, like, just like a um, like a woman wearing makeup to look pretty one day, not because she hates the way she looks. You know, mm. it's just like, oh, I'm going to straighten my hair today, but then tomorrow I'm just going to put it up in a big afro and then I wear these braids. <laughs> and, like, they're just really proud of themselves. Mm. Um, another influence, like the Williams sisters, because my sisters play tennis, <laughs> you know? So it's like they are growing up with so many people that are, t- like, showing them that it can be done 
well, I feel, you know, to go back just 20 years to my days. <laughs> and you, there was a lot less. And it was just like a more specific type of person um, mm-hmm. to look up to. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a different time. Yeah, And uh, the one thing that I was reminded of uh, when you're talking about like being the like the experience of being the only person not like of color, like in a room full of people like white folks. It's something that like you, it's so hard to convey. And um, I've traveled to like uh, Costa Rica and like I remember all all the Costa Ricans would just stare at me because yeah. I was the only Korean person they've ever seen in there. And I went to Russia. Same thing happened. And then I went to Korea and I was like, holy shit, <laughs> I'm. I'm totally in this crowd. Right? <laughs> I, I'm totally You're part like of the, lost in the crowd. Totally lost. Like, yeah. like old ladies would ask me questions in Korean. I'm like, I don't speak Korean. Right? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I know I'm disappointing you right now for speaking English, <laughs> but you know what? It's like, oh, this is great. This is a wonderful thing. And uh, it's it's something that like like a white person can really only go get that feeling if they go somewhere else mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. like totally off a beaten track too. And then they get pointed at. And then, you know, it's like that kind of, that experience is so hard to get unless you are like picked up and dropped off right. somewhere else. And even then it's only like through travel for a couple of months versus like being raised in that mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. And like I... There's, like, instincts I have that if in class, like, Africa was mentioned, I, like, avoid eye contact because I know everyone will look at me for an opinion. And I'm like, I don't know, you know? It's like, why would I know? I don't know. And, um, and the same feeling, like, whenever I would go to somewhere, like, I remember when I went to Atlanta for the first time, which has, like, a really high black population and where, you know, everyone says hi to you and talks to you and, like, approaches you so friendly. And I'm like, because to me like black people means my family because that's wherever mm. i move those are the only ones i see and so there is just this sense of like oh there's like a wider culture out there yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it like same feeling of like we're the norm now you know yeah, like i don't know. stand out and i don't feel weird i don't feel like i'm gonna be followed in mm. like a uh, store you know any random thing like that mm, but mm-hmm, and mm. a lot of times when people hear about these experiences they think that it means something like you know like oh i got pulled over by a cop and got treated and you know unjustly or something like that and i haven't experienced anything major but it, like the small things add up you know and mm-hmm. even actually was it just yesterday i or actually no it was today um walked into a patient's room and her daughter was there and goes whoa you're so brown and <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, who can even say that? But if that's the first time that ever happens to you, like, it's kind of a strange thing. Like, how do you respond, blah, blah. But yeah. that's, like, the hundredth kid who's done that to me. You know, yeah, and I get old white dudes always asking me, where are you from? And I'm like, I know exactly what you're asking. I'm going to say New Hampshire to fuck with oh you and make God. you say and make you ask the question that you're really asking. So it's so funny you bring that up because I don't know why <laughs> I love to read arguments on like comments like facebook comments mm-hmm. and whatever which is full of the most ignorant people mm-hmm. and someone was complaining about the where you're from question and this guy who i guess is of irish background his name was mick something was like oh people ask me where i'm from all the time i don't get why it's such a big deal and i was like because <laughs> it's different if i my answer is usually either california or france if they go oh where are you born but the questioning doesn't stop until I mention Cameroon. Because they're like, oh, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> you're African. And, you know, same like with my Asian friends or something like that. Like, until you end up in a country that is not here, mm-hmm. they will not stop asking. Mm-hmm. While for you, you know, you could say, like, for 
the guy who was coming to you, you could say, I don't know, Virginia, and they're like, oh, okay, cool, yeah. you know, because you're allowed to be from here. <laughs> I have that uh, that issue with uh, some of my white friends. I'll be like, I'll be like, where where are they from? Like, I'll ask about a, a third friend that we know, and I'll be like, where are they from? And they're like, uh, I think uh, like Boston. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, like, I, where are like where like where's that name from? Like that that's a fucking weird name. Yeah. Like, I don't know where that na- name is from. There are way too many like consonants, not enough <laughs> syllable you know, vowels, and it's just like. It's such a funny game because it's also like, uh, like as a person of color, we're not allowed to forget that we're a person of color versus right. white people. They get to immediately just be like, and it's, I understand it's like not a great thing to like have all, all of your cultural history, like thousands and thousands of generations of your people mm-hmm. to kind of be forgotten. Now you're just like the dude from Boston that drops his R's, mm-hmm. but like, it's like, you know, but at the same time, it's like, it's, it'd be nice to like, just kind of like totally shed all that baggage. Right. And I think it's just, a disservice because if I go all the way to like oh I guess I'm from Cameroon like but I'm not like I visited my grandparents mm-hmm. there I can't tell you anything about Cameroon like I, it's just I guess what runs in my blood but I personally have no associ- mm-hmm. association to it so to automatically link me to that either by my name or because that's where my uh, parents come from and not let me be who I am versus mm-hmm. who they were is kind of like frustrating, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not because I don't appreciate being from there, but it's like, why do I have to be a history lesson mm-hmm. everywhere I go? Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you don't ask where does this basil come from. Right. You're just like this basil grew here. It's fucking from here. It's yeah, like, that's the other part. Like, why the hell do you care? Like, yeah. what does it matter right now? <laughs> you know, people trying to be like, oh, I just like to know about people's background, and partially because once you say that, people are like, oh, I have this one friend who went to Nigeria <laughs> once. And I'm like, cool, okay, sure, good for you. I, I don't. <laughs> like, what do you want? To eat? You know, it's like being like, oh, I ate kimchi once. Like. Mm-hmm. There was a Good joke, a uh, Tom Segura joke about like him, him talking about his dad and his dad would just say all of these like really questionable things about race. And uh, one time he, they, they, he was talking about this, he was telling a story about like one time they went to a restaurant and the, the waiter was Asian and he's like, hey, where, where are you from? And he was like, oh, I'm from, uh, from China. He's like, oh. I went to I went to Vietnam once. He's like, why, why is that relevant? And he was like, huh, huh. but there were a lot less Vietnamese when I left. It was really, I was like, oh shit! <laughs> I love that joke. Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. So you're Camille. Yes. You are 25 years old. Yes. You are black. Yes. What else are you? Oh jeez. Um, I am a medical student. <laughs> what is it? What you're you're a fourth year medical? What I'm you're almost year. you're almost not a medical student. Oh no! You're, you're more not a medical student than you are a medical student. Oh no! I'm more than ever a medical student <laughs> right now. You're like I can wear this. I'm a medical student vo- like vest for a little bit longer before you're like wearing the, the resident big boy pants. Oh yes. So, I, and I think it's this year that you realize it most because this is the year where everyone's like, oh, this is what you'll be an intern next year. These are all the things you'll need to do, and you realize. How much of a gap there is. So, so what? What do you? What? What does it mean to be a medical student right now for you? Um, it means so much, both in like just my personal growth. Of I've, I'm in that group of people that wanted to be a doctor since I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's even this like <laughs> cute little drawing of me, and when it was like this guy at a fair, you know, who asked, oh, what do you want to be? And uh, draws your face really big. Mm-hmm. And so it says, Dr. Camille. 
with my eight-year-old little face on it. So, you know. Cheesing super hard. (laughs) Super hard. Uh, And so it's, you know, the quote-unquote dream come true and then realizing it's a nightmare. (laughs) This is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. And to be a fourth year and, like, nearing the end, feels so bizarre um Mm. especially as i go online and see the pictures that usf is posting now the first years Mm. going through everything and i saw this picture this morning or earlier today of um them interviewing the first standardized patient and i was trying to put myself in that mindset of like i wonder what i sounded like the first time i tried to interview a Mm. quote-unquote patient um and like so you don't realize how much you've learned until you compare, you know, to what you used to know three, four years ago, even in the last year, how mm-hmm. much I've learned. Um, and it's given me a new respect for the profession. Um, but also it, it's given me a new respect for myself because if someone had told me how terrible it would have been, <laughs> I don't know if I would have believed that I would get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, like, definitely, definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. It is definitely a crucible. It is like, it is there. It's like parts of it don't make any sense. Uh, there are things we learn that I'm like, why are we learning this? Uh, and, and yes, every, all, every physician beforehand has got, that is, you know, has the MD letters has gone through sort of basically the same process. Uh, it's, it's sort of like, um, it's just like, it's tough. It's mm-hmm. really, really tough. And, uh, being able to like understand how tough it is and then be like, I guess if, if, I'm looking at this other doctor who's going to be my colleague in like a couple months, like, 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 like realizing they went through basically the same process. It sucks. It doesn't make sense, but it's what we have. And this Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's, it, there's a level, it's sort of like, um, I went through officer candidate school for the Marine Corps Mm -hmm. and like going through boot camp, you just, it's just one of those things where like, wow, this is simultaneously not as hard and way harder than I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And, and then you, and then like understanding, oh, everyone went through this and then they went on to go do harder things later. Like that's, that's the whole, like that's that level of respect. Yeah. That's such a good line. It is like both not as hard and harder than I think in the sense of it goes on forward, you Mm -hmm. know, you get through it, you learn the material somehow you know Mm -hmm. like whenever i show someone like the books i like Mm -hmm. when i was studying for step one i'm like i essentially have to memorize this entire book and they're like whoa that's impossible but somehow i got through it you Mm -hmm. know so somehow Mm -hmm. inside of all of us there is that like capability to do it but that it also was like just absurdly difficult (laughs) (laughs) but like i think less because of the scholastic part of it and just like physically, emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. like all the leaves that you can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm also just happy, like family-wise, of I've had so much support from my family and like mm-hmm. going to be the first doctor in my family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's just like really exciting, especially like with my sisters, you know, mm-hmm. looking up to me. And I just feel like there's a lot on my shoulders of people wanting this for me mm. and so to be in my last year and to have gotten here it's like oh my goodness i actually did this mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh i was i forget the interview i did this with um but it was just like the idea of like you know you hear about all these other other it's like some of the some of the other families like uh 
in your medical school class, like they're like the third right. generation of physician, and it's like you might be starting your your for the first generation of three or four of physicians. Right. You know, it's yeah. like it's wild to think about that. It's it's crazy, and I'm happy for it I, I hope I'm not starting a generation of physicians because I'm going to tell such horror stories about my school <laughs> that no one else is going to watch <laughs> actually when I was home this weekend I asked my little sister what she wanted to do and like she's definitely more artistic and like mm. medical related things are not even crossing her mind and I was like what do you think I do and she's like I don't know but I'm not interested oh, <laughs> like, so alright <laughs> yeah 15 year old sass oh, but yeah <laughs> What do you, uh, when you make that transition away from medical student to actual physician, what do you want to do with this? What do you want to do with this crazy experience that you've already built up and will have forward? I want to write. I want to write a lot. That's something I had hoped to do throughout med school, but got lost in the insanity of it all. So I guess I'll do a from post-med school and like life of a doctor type of chronicles, partially because there's so much growth that happens in so like day to day there are mm-hmm. huge like each day could be a book on its own mm-hmm. um and so i definitely want to chronicle that because i think 10 years from now who i am in my career will be very different and looking back on it and other people looking on it will be very good mm-hmm. and and then, for that for that reason i would say just start now just true. like I've been doing my weekly I uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I've been doing my yes. weekly yeah mm-hmm. and like having that is like it started out as one thing and now it's become like especially once it started hitting the clinic and like you know internal medicine it's like a totally different thing mm-hmm. now and it is like you said like I'll I'll start I'll like ha- I'll like publish it on Sunday go into clinic on Monday and I'll be like oh this is it like I'm just gonna write this all and then I'll have like that, that I'll be like I'll start writing that and then like Tuesday Thursday Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday happen. I'm like, I have like four other things yeah. I can talk about. Like, it, oh, yeah. it's a very, it's a very interesting thing. And being able to look back on like the mindset I had on like various like, things, is, it is, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's something that's really valuable. And it's something that I feel like the generation before us never did. Right. Yeah. Because it's just a different media that mm-hmm. we have. And I actually loved reading your most recent post about your first difficult patient. <laughs> and that's something that I really have enjoyed about reading yours because it's a lot of firsts that I experienced a year ago. Mm-hmm. And to look back on it now, like, oh, I now handled so many. Different- I like kind of laughed when I read it because I was like, oh, this is one of many. <laughs> but it, it's just like really wonderful to see it happen and know that it'll happen over mm-hmm. and over again as each person goes through mm-hmm. this process mm-hmm. but that we all experience it differently and i that's something that's beautiful about writing or art in general of how you experience it you get to put it into words and for others to see that mm-hmm. like how they can go through it as well i think i'm just like for some reason boxed in in that if i didn't start first day of med school to end of med school like i can't start anymore mm. or at least like first day of fourth year so i'm now like you're a um, big milestone person yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so like starting in the middle of everything like feels weird. and i have blogs and like personal journals and things like that but yeah it, it doesn't feel right i guess to like <laughs> do this like oh my life in med school starting from month two of fourth year <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah. whatever you start to start i yeah. mean yeah it's not a bad idea. So, well. so uh, with your medical career, you want to write? Yes. What else do you want to do with it? 
um you you want to inspire this is where i get all dreamy and stuff <laughs> really dreamy. yes um so much just because of everything i went through i want to inspire others especially other like black women to mm. also um you know just pursue their best even if it's not in the medical world um as an OBGYN, i want to like in, continue to not just inspire but like really delve into a community of women <clears throat> and i want women to be um more aware and educated about their bodies i feel i forget who was said like physician actually means like educator or something like doctor that. means educator. doctor there mm -hmm. you go and i truly believe that i feel like mm -hmm. most of what we do is education and then like treatment later on um and i believe in prevention a lot um which comes through education that's something that no matter what my patients are coming in for now that I have a bit more autonomy as a fourth year, I find myself doing so much education when I'm like, oh, we're doing this lab. I go, do you know what we're doing it for? Do you know what disease we think you have? Mm -hmm. Like, do you know what you're taking your medication for? Like, I will sit there and make sure you get what you're doing because nothing pisses me off more than someone take me taking meds and they don't know why <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like what are you putting into your body it's like oh um, uh, there's a level of like dude are you like cattle like are you just accepting these, like just passively accepting yeah. these meds and not like i i love it when there are patients where i'm like oh damn you, you like you could basically treat yourself at like right. a certain level it's like you you have a very like a like at least like a like a very focused pa level of understanding mm -hmm. of like what is going on here like what do these conditions mean what are the, what are the contraindications for some of these meds like what are the, some of the long-term side effects of these meds right. it's like if, if if they can like the the medical knowledge is not that fancy like there's right. it's not that special it's i think it's just that we know about way too many things but <laughs> you know no person has like the million diseases that mm -hmm. we've learned about mm -hmm. so i think each person should be an expert on the diseases that they have or the conditions that mm -hmm. they have mm -hmm. um and then additionally and as an ob guide i think sexual health is just so important and it's such a taboo subject and so many women are just not aware of their bodies and what's like good and normal and mm -hmm. i actually had a very in-depth conversation with one of my attendings about orgasms and mm -hmm. it's just like that's such a beautiful thing that as a doctor this is what i can go along talking about to mm -hmm. women like yes be happy in your sexual life and mm -hmm. know your body and know what like works and doesn't work for you and what's healthy and all of that and mm -hmm. um so yeah a lot of education um, I am very interested in international health, partially just because of my background, being from all over the place, and it's always been a dream of mine to work for Doctors Without Borders. Mm. Um, and so, just like a lot of, I feel like this is kind of a big like honking my own horn, but like selflessness. Like I really want to do something where I'm like, okay, this is all the knowledge I have. Let me give back, you know, in the most insane way possible. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that I really look forward to doing, if even just for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, what else? I want to carry the legacy of Select. I absolutely love what it stands for and what it has brought to my medical education mm -hmm. and to like the kind of doctor that has made me. I've always said that I would be like my med school experience would have been completely different if I didn't have select and that mm -hmm. whole emotional intelligence, self-awareness um, mm -hmm. aspect of it. And that's something I want to carry through. Like 
in every aspect of my career, whether mm -hmm. it's in my future leadership roles or my interactions with difficult patients, which I'm sure I'll encounter for the rest <laughs> of my life. Um, but, you know, there's like, that's something that would take the average person forever to figure out, you know, what mm. works best for them. And we're so lucky to have that figured out at the same time as we got our basic education. Mm -hmm. So mm. that's, um, if I get any leadership roles in the future, I, I want to have like many select sessions with, whatever my co-workers mm. or whatever and like teach them to be more self-aware <laughs> it's, it's such a it's such an interesting thing because it's almost like a lot of this i mean they're like the health systems part of the select that that is absolutely necessary mm -hmm. but then the other part the emotional intelligence and mindfulness aspects it's like that shouldn't even need to be taught you know right. like on, on a fundamental like basic like people entering medical school should already have a, like, they, sh you know, it's like, we should all exercise, you but do so. we, you know, it's like <laughs> that, that kind of thing. And, um, it's such an interesting thing to be on in like the first wave of selectees. Like mm -hmm. we're like, that's one thing that I always remember. I try to remember often, uh, especially when I like roll my eyes and select, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what are we doing here? Uh, but then I'll try to remember that like, this is like the first iteration, like we're like, we're really in an experimental phase with select and what it will be in 20 years is going to be vastly different from what it is now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, as much as we roll our eyes sometimes, it's like, it's essential to get to hone in on like, what are we actually going to do with this? thing? Right. Yeah. And that's something that from like early on, especially first year when it was definitely in the eye roll because you're not doing many um, clinical stuff, so mm. like, you don't have any. You don't have any like fire to to like actually understand what's going right. on. Right, and so it matters a bit less. So I decided to be like, okay, out of this extremely long session, what is the one thing I'm going to you know use <laughs> <laughs> and kind of try to at least use mm -hmm. it once throughout this week and apply it to some part of my life throughout this mm -hmm. week. And I think that helped me a lot. And um, I feel like the mindfulness part of it was extremely important, especially in med school where it's such a like head boggling experience and you can get lost a lot of the time, just like emotionally and mentally that you need to learn how to come back to like center, center yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and then not just self-awareness, but also relationship awareness, but not just patients, which is the obvious go-to, but everyone else you're working with and the hierarchy of medical the mm. medical world like that i don't know i just don't know how i would have gone through all that without select of like mm. that reminder of understanding different people's personalities and leadership types and mm -hmm. i feel like i break down people now when i come <laughs> around them i'm like okay this is an introvert and they like to uh I don't know, they process things in this way and that's why I need to converse with them in this fashion mm -hmm. and the way that, you know, they'll interact with me, they'll, they'll bring on this emotion from me, but I, because I'm aware that it's because they're this different type of person, mm -hmm. I'll respond, take a longer time to respond and blah, blah, blah. And, so I think way too much goes through in my head now <laughs> when I'm interacting with someone. And my boyfriend probably hates it because I'm like, I get that you're an introvert. So I'm going to give you a minute oh, no. to think through oh, this. No. Yeah, yeah. You've been fully Yeah, it's been bad. I'm like, I'm going to talk because I'm a slight extrovert and like to like think my thoughts out. But you know, you take your time and I'll come back in 10 minutes when you're done thinking about it. 
<laughs> I try not to sound too bitchy when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a certain level of sass that needs to just be oh, massaged yes. in there. But the sass will never go away, so I can't unsass me. <laughs> I don't think it could. So you are Camille, yeah. you are uh, 25, mm-hmm. you are black, you are a medical student. Is there anything else that you are? I mean, we could do this forever. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that, I mean, that summarizes me. There's more, but I, I, I think that's... It's a pretty good list. Yeah. You're able to dive pretty deep yes, into those. Yes, So how do you finish the prompt, before I die, I want? Uh, well, I could be uh, very basic about it. Before I die, I want to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and weirdly enough, that's something I have to remind myself yeah. to do. It's so easy to let the days go by, let the hours go by. And mm-hmm. I have to reflect on each moment and kind of be like, what am I getting out of what I'm doing right now? Like, mm. what am I leaving on earth? And obviously not every second of every day as much like the nap I was taking earlier didn't leave anything on this earth but I felt good from it um, <laughs> like uh, from a sensory perspective it was really great exactly exactly but I think overall I try to encompass this motto of like spreading positivity and um, which some days it's easier than others mm-hmm. and but it's the days that it's harder to do that I think are the best days when I'm actually able to do that because it's like I put work into this life goal of mm-hmm. spreading positivity and trying to figure out my purpose and my, you know, I'm this one person out of the ridiculous amount of people that have lived on this earth. Like, mm-hmm. why me? You know, mm-hmm. like, why do we need a Camille window? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what's the point? And, and that's where I get like, crazy thoughts of like oh the universe is so vast and i'm just a speck and like mm-hmm. <laughs> what is my purpose and there are people on the complete other side of the earth that i've never met and going through completely different experiences and that's why i love to travel so much and want to do things like doctors without borders because i want to touch as many people as possible that's mm-hmm. something that's really important to me and i think a lot of what i do roots into that of my love for music my love for writing love for travel being a doctor like it's all about like affecting people Mm -hmm. so two things uh one about the like being positive when it's not easy like Mm -hmm. that is like you said it is so important when you do that when it's not easy because uh there's a like i think it was like uh, description of, of yogis as like uh, brittle balloons like they can breathe when it's easy when there's nice music playing when there's some incense going mm-hmm. and they've got their mat and it's clean but as soon as you like give them like make them dirty make them carry something heavy in a in, in like a very you know like on rocks it's like the breath goes away immediately, you know <laughs> yeah. and it's like that's not that like, that's when it's important not in the in that like nice little laboratory basically mm-hmm. of, of the yoga studio and in that same way, being able to be positive when it's when everything is telling you to either be uh, impasse, like to, to just let it like just just like this is not my problem. Like, right. like, like that, that's 90 percent of it. And then there's like 10 percent that's like just give them the middle finger and run away. Like that kind of thing. And start a really large, like long Facebook argument with this person. <laughs> like that. It's like being able to in those moments, like just like figure out a way to like, how can I 
the way I think of it is like judo, uh, where where um, there like you can punch somebody in the face, and that's oh, that's cool uh, in some circumstances. It it does some things, but uh, ultimately you're just escalating things. Right. And, and judo is a lot about like taking somebody's momentum and then using it against them. Right. So so rather than like hurt like actively hurting them, you're just like. Well, this I guess you're running at me, so I'm just gonna throw you on your back, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. And and a lot of that for me, like when I try to when I try to express love, I try I try to think of like what is like a really judo-y way. It's like to really like let them like leave them like on their back staring up and be like, well, it could have been worse. That's what I want out of my relationships for them to be like, ah, oh, this could have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> like I learned a lesson, it was it was like you're not a, yeah you know what I mean? yeah um and what uh, I kind of lost myself uh, oh what does it mean to live for you what because you've just kind of described you've you've used words like you know like the doctors without borders uh, like spreading positivity but what does it mean to live mm-hmm. oh man these questions this is what it like keeps me awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't think that I know. And because of that is why I'm trying so hard to... Oh, my God. You just freaked me out over there. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, I don't know why. I think that, like, why... This is not a grammatical sentence, but, like, the why do we live? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But since we're here, I figured that we're here for a reason. Mm -hmm. And each individual person's reason is different Mm -hmm. and so i think half of our life is figuring out who we are and that's kind of where we go back to go back full circle the whole educational system Mm -hmm. and why i think it's messed up because it's like everyone doing the same thing when i think like if we could have you know a different educational system for every single person Mm -hmm. so that it's just about figuring out your own purpose and then the rest of your life is putting out that purpose and then mm-hmm. whatever your strength is putting it into the world and just giving back or just this rotation of kind of like plants you know mm-hmm. they just live to give oxygen and then they die in their soil and go on and on mm-hmm. and they don't really do anything else but they're still considered alive um <clears throat> and then the other part of your life where you reflect on your life to other people and help them grow and become who they are but um i forget who i was talking to about this where i was like it is really just a cycle like we all just are born go through kind of the same experiences plus or minus a couple things and then we die and then whether you're remembered or not you know like whatever you're dead you know Mm -hmm. um and then if you add like whatever religious aspect you have to it if you believe in heaven and like an afterlife and things like that. But as far as we're concerned here on this earth in this boxed environment, like what is life? Like what are we all doing? You know, mm-hmm. we could all just sit here and stop trying, which mm-hmm. I've definitely thought a lot of times throughout medical school. It's like <laughs> I can just stop going mm-hmm. and I'll get kicked out and you know, I'll have no food or you know, mm-hmm. like I'll have nothing. But like what does it all actually matter? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um and that's something that like this is where I just go off and on. <laughs> like it's a lot of thinking. It is. And it's a so like you talked about how you know there's the first phase of your life is figuring out your purpose and then the second phase is completing that purpose mm-hmm. or like pursuing it. 
do you need a purpose in order to live? You see what you're getting at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that the technical answer is no, but I think my personal answer is yes, because there's so many times that I've felt lost mm -hmm. that if I didn't go back to, oh, I have a purpose, I would have fallen apart. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that's part of like the whole like rock bottom that I dealt with and all that where I just didn't know what I was doing with my life or, you know, even though I was in med school, like I still just don't know like why am I here? What am I doing? Um, and so and part of like my relationship with God like mixed into that of, okay, I feel like I was put here on this earth for a reason and that helps drive me. Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise that's like when I said, like, why do we need a Camille Limbo? Like, why, why, <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. what does it change to this whole world, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I know there's the whole, like, oh, to one person, you could have been the whole world and blah, blah, blah. But, like, if you weren't there, they would have found someone else. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, so, and there's just so many people. If there was only 10 people in the world, I'd say, okay, yeah, we all have, like, a really deep effect, mm -hmm. whether we have a purpose or not. But there are so many people that come and go, that die at every age you can think of, that without a purpose and without, like, a reason to their existence, it's hard to understand why we're all going through this. Mm -hmm. And I think whether it's someone who didn't do anything, you know, like fame worthy or whatever, that whether it's only one person that they affected, I think like that was their purpose. Um, so do you, you said that you have a purpose. What, what explicitly is your purpose? Me? <laughs> um, isn't that the question? I, as general as it sounds, and this is like on everyone's med school application, <laughs> I do think it is to help people in whatever way that I can, whether it is in the medical world, which is the road I decided to take. But I feel like even like from a young age, I was always just a very like reach out to mm -hmm. people kind of person. Um, <clears throat> and... Like, you can break down what it means to help someone in whatever way you want. But I think, like, every interaction I have with people is, like, giving a part of myself to them in mm -hmm. whatever way I can. And so I think that's, like, the overall summary, if I put it in one sentence. Okay. So if your goal, if your purpose is to help people, mm -hmm. and you, in order to live, you need a purpose, mm -hmm. are you living now? I think, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, even if I die tomorrow, I there are people who I have helped to some degree mm -hmm. and who I feel confident, you know, if they had to vouch for me, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, would say that I've helped them in some way. So that's something I'm proud of. Do I think that I've helped people to my full potential? No. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that keeps me going. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's an endless amount of potential. Like, even after being a doctor, I still have, like, more things that I want to mm -hmm. do. Um, so. Yeah, so I guess, yeah. like, what I'm, what I'm kind of, like, driving at towards with this line of questioning is, like, what, what else, so if you've already, if you've already been helping people, mm -hmm. uh, like, what, like, 
I guess is there is there is there any sort of like like since you like those big milestones like a like a milestone for you where you're like I I can go out like right now or is it is this just is 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 it just not even like a like a like a like a thing that you're reaching for it but it's just like inside you and you're just gonna keep expressing it as hard as you can mm-hmm. yeah it's the latter because there's what feels like an infinite amount of people so unless I somehow interacted with all seven billion people on this earth you mm. know i will never have helped everyone or unless i did some like world changing thing mm. like you know <laughs> discovered the cure to cancer where i'm like okay i help people i'm good now mm. <laughs> you know i helped a good majority of the world i'm good mm. um but i just think that like you mix purpose with potential of even after mm. discovering the cure to cancer there's more Mm -hmm. if you were able to do that you're going to be able to do more and that's how i feel of like my career path of like becoming a doctor is like a really huge thing and to a lot of people would feel like the ultimate milestone i'm like no there's more there's There's more more ways that i could help people and even after i do doctors without borders like right now that's like the highest goal that i have um but as i continue on in my life i'm sure there's like more ways that i'll think of helping people and that's why i kept it to such a general sentence because helping someone i don't think you can run out of ways to help people mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so it's and i don't think it's a check that you can put on a no list. it like is just like a, it is just something that you're just going to keep with you mm-hmm. and i really i really liked that phrase mixing uh mixing purpose and potential mm-hmm. like so i don't know I've, there's something there that I think is really cool, and uh, I'm gonna stew on that for a little oh, while. Maybe I'll put it on my personal statement. <laughs> yeah, it's a good. It's a. I don't know. There's something about that that just like sits very well with me, and I mm-hmm. just need to like stew on it to figure it out a little bit deeper. Yeah. Uh, so before you die, you want to live. Mm-hmm. What else? Um, before I die, I want to be happy, like this true genuine happiness i do believe that i am on the pursuit of happiness so that's something that you haven't yet achieved i don't think so what no. will it look like what will it I feel don't know. like <laughs> and that's maybe why i'll never reach it since i don't know what it looks or feels like i, mm. I have all these hopes and dreams and thoughts about what it should look like will it be when i mm. have like when i'm settled and have a family and the career and kids mm-hmm. and everything that i want will it be in a different place you know Mm. i don't know well i guess uh, so like the reason why i'm gonna ask this like who like who is who in your life is happy that you can emulate like that because it sounds almost like you're 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 almost like that one black girl in the classroom of white people trying to figure out how to be a black girl Mm -hmm. like and you're trying you're trying to figure out how to be happy without ever having any examples of it like what what examples of happiness do you have in your life huh um well it's hard to pinpoint because the older i've gotten the more i've realized that everyone has their own problems yeah, you know <laughs> so like, right so like no one has it all figured out like my mom is my ultimate goal and now that like i'm older and we talk more i realize how much she's gone through and it, it's funny that like she is my goal when like she had me out of wedlock and like was figuring everything out and like caring you know like mm-hmm. pretty much had a really shitty life in her mm-hmm. 20s mm-hmm. and like to her i'm like doing so much better and i'm like no i still think you're the ultimate um mm-hmm. so you know like if you asked her she probably wouldn't say she's happy and i'm sure if you asked the richest person on earth they wouldn't say they're happy so i don't think it's one specific thing and so i think i look at each person i interact with and look at what makes them 
happy, like what they associate with their happiness, they like steal a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a soul example? sucker. <laughs> <laughs> what what, what a, like example do you have for me? Um, like <laughs> I've like I've gotten into a lot of like personal health. Like I um see have seen people who are really happy, um, just. I don't know, like, with what they eat, like, really being thoughtful about what they eat, how they exercise, taking care of their body. Mm-hmm. And while I've always been just, like, a generally fit, healthy person, it's not something that I thought of that thoroughly. Um, but then I was like, it is, like, satisfying to look yourself in the mirror and say, like, I put work into this. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm happy with the way I look and happy with the way I feel mm-hmm. based on what I've eaten. Um, one side, little side mm-hmm. note. Like one thing that I like to think about is like, would someone want to eat me? Like that's the question I have. Wow. Like would like would like would a bear or a cannibal would they want to eat me? Huh. Versus like would they eat me because they had to? You know. That's so funny. I've never thought of and that. And that's a very like like taking like a carnivore perspective. Like, right. do I want to take this into my body? Like, if you like a wild deer, like, oh shit, they've been like munching on all this wild food. They're so happy, and then they just die one day when when you shoot them. Uh, versus like a human, you can you like you just see all these people, and I'm like, I don't want to eat any of them. You know right. what I mean? Like, I will I will come across like one or two people in a day, maybe that I'm like. I'd eat you. <laughs> I'm not sure you want to admit this, but like, <laughs> you know, well, I guess close to that, the way I think about it is, would I be proud or would a surgeon be happy with me? Oh, because like they have to cut through all these layers and mm-hmm. see what's inside my body. Mm-hmm. And like, that is the most intimate that mm-hmm. you can be with someone is like a surgeon. They see everything you've put inside your body. And I'm like, would they be complaining about mm-hmm. my body? And they do it in like, in that kind of like semi-objective, like yeah. very detached mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's what I go back to. Oh. And especially just, I mean, Yes, you haven't done your surgery rotation yet, but like they're very like blunt about it, <laughs> and they will be like, "This person had five inches of fat layer, and their fascia was this like tough, and their muscles were this like intense, you know." And so mm-hmm. I'm like, "Okay, I want to work out so that <laughs> if mm-hmm. I ever need surgery, I'll look really good under the knife." <laughs> <laughs> and in a way that like doesn't show. In, like, the same kind of way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. It's a very silly way to look at it. But it's all part of, like, purpose, again, in a different way of, like, we have one body, mm-hmm. and that's the body we're going to carry for the rest of our life. So, to mm-hmm. ruin it seems kind of dumb to me, you know? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to take care of this body that I have. And, yeah, like, I know people are like, oh, but you're all going to die anyway. I'm like, yeah, but why would I want to die feeling miserable, <laughs> like, physically? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other things to be miserable about. This is something I can control. And um, so that's, like, a source of happiness that I found recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, like, art-wise. Like, a lot of people find happiness through their art, whether it's music or writing or like this podcast that you're doing um and talking to people and that's something else that i am inspired by and like I'm like okay i should do more of that and so really i just steal from people <laughs> <I do. laughs> hey i mean it's like 
Really? That's the best way to do it. <laughs> Why come up with your own stuff when somebody, yeah. or, like even these, even these prompts I stole from somebody else. Oh. Like there was a before I die, die wall mm-hmm. where some artist in like California. Oh yeah, yeah I've seen you, it. You've seen it. Like, yep. And she, her prompt was before I die, I want to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a good seed. And I just stole it. <laughs> but from that. Yeah, yeah. They actually had that wall up at UC Irvine and I don't remember what it was on there. But yeah. See. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how else do you finish? So you, before you die, you want to live and mm-hmm. you want to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this goes hand in hand with the other two, but to love mm. and be loved. And I think there's something, I love love. I think it's so beautiful. <laughs> as like heartbreaking and terrible as it is. <laughs> it's kind of like med school. <laughs> <laughs> It's the worst, but it's the best. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the ultimate thing that you can do on this earth of loving someone. And um, because we're all strangers at Mm -hmm. first until we're not. And then you just choose the stranger that you decide to to give so much of yourself to and share your entire life with. And Mm -hmm. then you make another stranger... Who <laughs> you like? That's the ultimate love. Your own child that you are like. Okay, here are all the things I've learned. Let me give that on to you. And that, like, I feel that a little bit with my sisters um, because of her age difference. But even them not being my children, like that feeling you have where you're proud of their every movement. <laughs> you know, mm. like I'm like, wow, look at you. You dressed yourself today. <laughs> like, you know, and you're learning these things and, and that's why I do the emails where I'm like, I'm just so proud of all these things you're doing and holding that fear of, you know, anything happening to them and just being so invested in mm. someone else. And mm. I just can't wait to have that like with a future husband and kids and just like family is so important to me and the idea of like creating a family like a new unit mm. in this world that sounds so beautiful and like a new like lifeline that carries on forever mm-hmm. yeah. yeah the idea of um like however many like over the 300,000 years that we were like biologically like homo sapiens sapiens mm-hmm. Like, however many generations that is, like, however a thousand many generations it is, like, for that line of, uh, like, that unbroken line to end with you is, like, kind of a bummer. Right, know? yeah. And, and, like, it'd be nice to carry it on. And it's, it's there's something about, um, about like, the, the, the feminine ability to carry life within you and squirt it out and <laughs> <Squirt>. love it. <laughs> I haven't done an L and D yet, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm using words, and I just <laughs> love it. It's it's like that's a, such a different. There's such a like a different like primal like almost deeper and and love is like a limited word. It, it's unlimited at the same time, but it's like it encompasses like erotic love. It encompasses familial, paternal, maternal love, and it's like what like what aspects of love are you waiting for? Oh. Have you yet to experience it? Or at least yet to experience to the depth that you want to experience. Yeah. I want that feeling of love. And it might be like over romanticizing it and like a fairy tale thing, but where you just like that full trusting relationship where 
it, it's kind of like the chest ball but of life. <laughs> 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 but where you just like feel like you've become one person with someone else, where everything mm. is just mixed together. And like I still want to remain my individual self, but where you just feel so connected with someone that it's all just like you've both put your piles into one big pile, mm. you know, and you've become this one person. And I think that encompasses like all those types of loves that you've mentioned. Mm. You know, there's the erotic aspect of it, the like, um, it's a friendship. And then it's also, if you like go on to create a family, you know, there's maternal and paternal and whatever aspect of that. And I just think that's so beautiful. I, I love when I see these stories of people who have been together for 50, 60 years and you're like, I get bored easily. And mm. like, to me, I'm always like, I feel like I would get tired of a person after that point. But it's because it's no longer just this other person. They've become a part of you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I just can't wait for. Where <laughs> you're not trying anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I'm still in this stage of dating where I'm like, you're like, even though I'm comfortable with my boyfriend, like, but you're like still trying, like, figuring stuff mm -hmm. out. Like, mm -hmm. still having to have, like, these long conversations of, like, what's going through your mind? What are you thinking? <laughs> you know? like, I want to be able to read minds is really what I want, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and just have, like, this goal, like, this future together. Like, just becoming mm -hmm. one. I don't know. What, because uh, from, from your description, mm -hmm. it sounds almost like there's, like, a quantum or binary shift where you go from, like, that dating to that like that that like partnership. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what uh, I have my own thoughts on this, and I would love, uh, but I really want to hear yours. Like, what makes what marks that shift? That what's the milestone? Mm. I don't think that it's like a specific milestone, like marriage or anything like mm -hmm. that. I don't. I think that's just a ceremony, really. Um, I don't think that a relationship changes all that much. I think it, it's almost just like life how like saying the milestone from being a teenager to an adult like you don't it's not at, like at 18 you are yeah, an adult yeah. you know it's not like everyone because everyone's calling you an adult that you are same thing with a relationship it mm -hmm. just kind of um progressively happens that you suddenly well no i said <laughs> most progressively and suddenly but you realize of like oh wow this person is just kind of like with me and mm -hmm. it's just my my other half, you know, and, and that's takes a lot of molding, um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not something that you go off to a weekend together and you come back and you've figured it out. Mm -hmm. It's a mm -hmm. lot of growth. Um, and it's partially something that I fear because I don't know if there's anyone who's figured out how to do it. And I wonder if I'll figure out how to do it. And it's like I... To me, what I feel are horror stories of people being married for decades and then ending it. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. so when do you figure it out? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you know that this is the person you're meant to, like, mm -hmm. build all of that with? And I just want a happy ever after. <laughs> <laughs> blame Disney, I don't know. Yeah, blame Disney for a lot. Yeah. For, for me, uh, the shift from uh, courtship to mm -hmm. partnership is the shift from saying yes to saying no. Like courtship to me is about saying yes, like yeah, I want to go on this. I want to go see this cool thing with you, mm. and yeah, I want to. Yeah, yeah, I love you. Yes, I want to marry you. And then the the switching to the partnership is when you start to learn how to say no to each other. Where it's like, no, I don't want to go out. I want to stay in and sleep all day. Like, like, mm. like you know, like that 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 shift is necessary. And 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 
I'm, I'm making that shift now with Mackenzie, with my partner, and like we're learning how to say no. Like we, we went through the big, big, vigorous yes phase. We're like, yes, let's do all this cool shit together. Let's go on this road trip. Uh, and now we're learning like the more, like the, the deeper adulty, like, like, like two trees leaning on each other and bearing weight for each other. It's like learning how to say no, like, like, no, I don't, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> because he's learning how to say that to me. It's like, no, that's a bad idea. You don't do that. And because, uh, you know, if you don't say no, it's things get fucked up. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm like just so sassy and like know what I want so bad that that comes very early in the relationship. I just don't want to give enough of a fuck to like please people for that long. But to go along with that, I think it's also when you stop trying mm. so hard with someone and that doesn't essentially mean like oh dressing up all the time mm. or anything like that but i think of my relationship when i'm around my family where i'm like basically my primal self you know <laughs> like there are no walls there's like i can say do be anything and it's just i just know that they'll love me and stick around like mm. you know i can be anyone i want and in a relationship as the later in life that you meet, I feel like you kind of have to start over and get them mm. <laughs> prepared for all of that and show those like Gently one step at a time. Like yes. one, one time <laughs> fart in front of her. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think these are the I, milestones. Yeah. <laughs> it's farting, then it's pooping. It's, you know, you go, go down sequentially. Right. All right, so before you die, you want to live. Mm -hmm. You want to... Uh, be happy. Mm -hmm. You want to love and be loved. Yeah, live, laugh, love. Laugh, love. <laughs> so original. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bro, you are Julia Roberts. Yes. <laughs> uh, what else? Oof. Man, I feel like covered. It's a pretty good list. A lot, yeah. I mean, live, laugh, love, it's really basic, but it's really, it's you know, true. it's basic. It's essential. Yeah, it's the, like, foundations of it all. I... I guess my other one, which again goes with all of that, and is probably the summary of it, is just see the world. I I never want to be ignorant to another part of the world, and if I ever stumble upon a sum of money, I've always said the first thing I would do is travel to like the corners of the world, because mm -hmm. I'm always just amazed to think of there are populations out there that are living their life in a completely different way than I am. Um, and I would love to see that. And not just see it like from a visitor point of view, but I, I want to experience it. So if I could not only travel the world, but like live in every country for a year, I would mm -hmm. think that's amazing. But there are too many countries and not, gonna, and not enough years. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll have to kind of skip over a few, but that's something that I would love to do. Sounds like a good... Uh... Good way to spend that, like, fortune you stumble upon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you finish the prompt, when I die, I want? When I die. I want the people around me to be okay without me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's something else that I think about a lot. <clears throat> Especially when we go back to what you were saying about you know, what's my purpose on here and all of that. And I think we create all these relationships and we all lean on each other in different ways. Um, that, and that's the reason why we're sad when someone dies because we lean on them a certain amount. Um, whether it's a lot because they're really close or just a little bit if they were a little more distant. And so I want to have given everything that I could have given that 
there's nothing more that they can need from me and that they'd be self-sustained and just, I guess, have gotten everything that they could have needed from me. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to leave any story between myself and anyone unwritten. Mm-hmm. Is how how uh, how will you get to that point? It's probably not possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, it probably isn't, but I think that would just require me not giving up on myself or on people. Mm. Um, it would require just building up relationships. Um, you know, all sorts, all forms of relationships and seeking um, the best out of that relationship possible and, like, whatever the apex of it is. Um, Which, yeah, again, I don't think there are enough years in a person's life to do that, so it's just whatever the maximum could be. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But I definitely think, like, you know, dying now versus... X decades from now um, would be a different experience for everybody in my life, mm-hmm. um, especially like my family, um, especially going um, like my sisters. I probably, if I think of all the people leaning on me, they're probably the like most. <clears throat> um, so for them, it's like I want to get them to like adulthood. To, to, I want to get them to like my age now, where they're mm-hmm. like got themselves figured out, and I think I <laughs> owe them that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be a disservice to leave them now. Um, was there um was there an experience of you feeling like that 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 person you were leaning on is gone that has that makes this so important to you now oh god um in so many ways like my grandma as i mentioned earlier who passed away in 2015 was my everything which is funny because I didn't see her for multiple years um, as she lived in Cameroon. It was just like really far away. <clears throat> and then in the last two years of her life, she moved in with us. Um, and I don't think even I realized how much I leaned on her. Um, as I mentioned, she's someone who prayed 24-7. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I relied on, of knowing like, well, at least grandma's praying for me. <laughs> 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 and she's got my back um and I was also you know pat on the back her favorite grandchild and mm. like she's taught me a lot she um taught me Basau which is a dialect that we speak um in our Cameroonian tribe um you know so like that's such a huge thing that I got from her mm-hmm. and with my mom was so busy especially back when she was a single mom like my grandma had a huge part in raising me um, and I saw so much of me in her mm-hmm. um, that, like, it, it was a beautiful bond between people of such a separate decades. Um, and you know, a lot of people's grandparents, like, died, like, very early on in their lives. So it's like, you would think that I knew this is something that would happen. And yet, like, to this day, I think about it and I'm like, I still don't understand how she's gone like I, I feel like I should have lived my entire life with her in my life mm-hmm. and it, it's hard to wrap my mind around and because of that like I have such a I don't have a personal fear of death but I have a huge fear of like other people around me dying especially like people like my mom and such who I rely so heavily upon that I'm like I don't think I would know how to live without mm-hmm. these people so. mm-hmm. and and there's something about 
that grandparent that is so different from like your parent because your parent is still growing yeah. as they're raising you. Like they're mm-hmm. figuring shit out along the way. Mm-hmm. The grandparent pretty stable. Like yeah. they're they're like they're by the time they, they're they're able to be called a grandparent, they're like they figured it out and they're gonna ride that track. For yeah. A while. And uh, it's something that I admire and um, and envious of because I my relationship with my grandparents are. Uh, a lot of them, um, on my mom's side, they were all staying in Korea. Mm-hmm. And uh, on my father's side, I'd never, uh, my grandfather passed or, or disappeared a long time ago mm-hmm. uh, during the Korean War, or I think before. And my m- grandmother on my father's side, uh, she came to the States, but she only speaks Korean. She's mm-hmm. like, so I, I have no ability to communicate with them. So it's like that, that kind of like, and there's some, and I know that there's something special about that grandparent grandchild relationship, but mm-hmm. I never really got to experience it. Right. And uh, it's like, what, like, what, like what I know it, it's hard to describe because it's like it sounds like such an integral and, and like you, she literally taught you the language that yeah. is like connects you to camera like that's such a and I was good especially when you mentioned with like your grandparent who speaks Korean and you can't talk to them and that's something that a lot of my cousins have an issue with because we were all like oh. my mom and all her siblings mm-hmm. like moved mm-hmm. out of Cameroon in their like late teens early 20s um, my mom's the only one who went to France and the rest of her siblings went to Germany. Mm-hmm. And so all my cousins were German. And so none of them speak Bessa. And my grandma, um, I guess maybe because my mom was single, she like took a special interest in, take, mm-hmm. in raising me, mm-hmm. um, actually taught me Bessa by reading the Bessa Bible to me. And that's mm-hmm. like another, that's why like mm-hmm. Catholicism is such like a cultural thing to me. And mm-hmm. so... Yeah, the fact that I was able to communicate with her is a next level relationship. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. even like your brain will think differently in that language too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, and it, it just like adds to our really. I mean, that's like a simple thing of being able to communicate with someone adds to your relationship. Um, and she, I don't know how to describe that love, like that pride of there's the mother to daughter pride. And then the grandmother of, and then because we were so similar, I don't know if she like saw herself in me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She just took a special interest in me. Like, for example, like the bookmark to her Bible was like a picture of me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Man. So it is like it's that level of connection mm-hmm. that is above and beyond. And even after she died, uh, actually, the day before she died, I had a dream of her as, mm. like, in an angelic form. And, like, I'm not, like, super huge into, like, dream figuring out. But, like, when I talked about that to my mom, she was like, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to believe that, like, she came to say goodbye to you. Like, you mm. were that close that mm. that's, you know, a thing. And then um, ever since she died, like, I... She's been in my dreams a lot. She, I like just see her a lot. Um, and it's just like a very deep connection. Um, mm. And I, like we talk about soulmates sometimes, and people tend to mean that in like a relationship wise. But I think she was my soulmate, and that like we just shared a similar soul. And mm. that like I almost feel like it's my job to carry on her legacy because she was also that like helping people type of person. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the village they lived in in Cameroon, everyone knew her name because she was the like, yeah, come over, stay at our house. Mm-hmm. Like, we had like random people living in that <laughs> house sometimes because they're like, oh, they 
are going through some stuff. She's like, I'm just going to cook for you overnight. Stay over. My mom was always yelling at her. Like, you cannot just have strangers in your home. And she just, like, saw the good in mm. everybody and was constantly praying for the world. And, mm. I mean, probably the background is a nun of that. Mm. But, you know, um, and I have no plans of ever becoming a nun. <laughs> I think I definitely messed that up already. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think just in, like the background of the kind of spirit it takes to be that person mm-hmm. um, that she gave that to me and I guess in a way that's what pushes my purpose mm-hmm. um, but it's still just weird I like relied on being able to do that with her being around and always being able to like check in with her mm-hmm. and so to not be able to do that is what feels really weird mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, and, and but at the same time, I could see aspects that, uh, like projected into the future, like your like, if you, let's say you were to die next year mm-hmm. in like a really cool accident uh, with like a helicopter, <laughs> and if they, if you were to pass, uh, there are ways in which that yes yes your like younger sisters are already leaning on you, uh, and like I could see I could you know like in the ways that like your grandmother kind of like. Like through through your dreams, through just like the just the thought of her, uh, like be, like your I just imagine uh, like your sister sending still sending emails like that mm-hmm. daily email like af, even after you're gone just because it's like you know what this is what we did this is what you know. Aww. that's so sad. <laughs> 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 like in a cute way, like very I I, I liked it. I, I, that's actually kind of my hope. Yeah. Um, that just be. Yeah, like that. That's what I've been trying to build of them having that feeling that they can always talk to me, mm-hmm. um, and then it turn in like a reflective journal kind of aspect. Mm. So yeah, that would be pretty great. How do you finish the prompt after I die? I want. Mm. I guess after I die, I want eternal joy. I like to believe that's how it all ends, or what the afterlife is. What is uh? What do you, can you even imagine what eternal joy feels like? No, and I think that's why it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's I, I fair. think it's something that's above and beyond what we could even imagine that it is. Do you have like any? Do you have like a glimpse? Like maybe like have you had like an ecstatic experience that? You're like, oh, okay, this times infinity is what that that eternal joy will be. Um, ish. Uh, like, each time I travel somewhere and have an experience, I just feel this kind of general euphoria of, like, disconnected from the world and just, you know, on like, just floating mm-hmm. is the word I would put to it. Although that being said, I always have this like tagged on anxiety when I'm really happy about something that something bad is going to happen soon. That's like Catholic guilt. (laughs) (laughs) I am huge of that. Like I usually just keep it to myself, but like anytime I'm like really content, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? What is about to go wrong? What am I I missing? Why am I feeling this feeling? Yeah, like (laughs) what am I missing? And I hope that's the aspect of it that will go away. And I think, like, the prospect of how our life on Earth functions is that there's always more. And so even when I'm, like, really glad about something, there's, like, okay, well, next time, how could it be better? 
And so I think that's why eternal joy is so above and beyond because it can't be bettered mm-hmm. and there's no it going bad. So it, it's shattering. <laughs> <laughs> it's like too much to handle and I don't think a living person is supposed to experience it, which is why it's the mm-hmm. afterlife. At least that's how I've like rationalized it because I always wonder like why make us suffer? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like why can't we all just be happy? And it's like I don't think that the world would function quite the same way mm-hmm. it'd be too much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what else do you want after you die mm, I'm gonna hang out with Jesus <laughs> yeah, what, what, uh, what would it be like just chilling <laughs> would, he, would he be black Jesus I don't like associate a human form to Jesus I mean like in a way I, I automatically do because there's the Jesus we all like see mm-hmm. when there's we say Korean the name. Jesus, there's Mexican Jesus. <laughs> there are multiple Jesus, versions, yeah. yeah. Um but in the like I guess official form of what I think about him or you know whoever I, I try my best not to associate a like single human form. And the reason I say that is because part of Christianity and faith and all of that is a lot of, I don't know, I guess this sounds bad, but like in your head, like you, there's a lot of just believing Mm -hmm. that it's all true and that, you know, I am praying to someone and there really is a back, a creator and, you know, Mm -hmm. this is all truly something. So I hope that it all comes down to, you know, a nice little high five of like, hey, (laughs) <laughs> Let's hang. <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> uh, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Can I seem realistic? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am. Um, I feel like it depends on the day you ask me. Mm. Mostly optimistic. If I put a percentage, I guess I would say I'm like. 60% optimistic. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah. Just that, just that little bit over 50. That's yeah. all you really need. Yeah. Because the reason I say realistic is that, I like I said, I want to... My pursuit is happiness. Mm-hmm. And so that requires optimism. But then my inner self is actually very negative. Like, mm-hmm. I do see a lot of negatives and things and just I'm constantly fighting it. Mm-hmm. So I think I have both <laughs> within me of like, I look at something in a pessimistic way and then try to approach it in an optimistic way of like, how can I make this possibly shitty situation better? <laughs> how do you judo it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, that's actually exactly it. It's like, I see a bunch of things constantly running at me. I feel mm-hmm. like life is this massive person running at me and I'm like, how do I just dodge this? <laughs> <laughs> And then it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, that, and, and, like, to be a positive person and to, like, lead, like, that, like, 60-40 split, like, that's, like, there, there's a, there's this, uh, astronaut, Chris Hadfield, the Canadian dude who did the, um, David Bowie song in space on the space station and went viral. It was crazy. You made me think about I it. I don't, yeah. He, anyway, he has this thing about, like, don't, when you're in a new situation, uh, everyone tries to be a positive. Everyone tries to like help out and do stuff. 
but like in a complicated like group situation you might not know like what you think is helping is might not be helping mm -hmm. and so when you're in a new when you're in a new situation you're trying to trying to figure things out just be a zero like don't don't add or detract just like figure it out mm -hmm. and then once you start to get a lay of the land then you can be a one then you can be a positive force rather than, but like by trying to be a one a positive one you can by accident become a negative one hmm. and like just 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 you know try not to be a hundred percent positive that's impossible and pathological probably <laughs> but like, like just being like mostly positive like that's mm -hmm. that's like that's like pretty much it i like that i like that a lot because i've often found myself in situations where i'm like i'm trying so hard i'm putting so much energy in but the feedback i'm getting <laughs> makes it seem like i'm doing everything wrong mm. and so that idea of like entering a situation neutrally figuring out you know it's that like relationship management like mm. the people you're with and what they expect from you mm -hmm. makes it easier to be that plus one mm -hmm. um, rather mm -hmm. than just like throwing ideas out there and just like slinging could, mud right, yeah and it could go one way or the other yeah it's one of those things like as a, like a coach um i love watching people try new things for the mm -hmm. first like from like a from like a learning perspective, like how does this, because it tells you, it's like a Rorschach test. It tells you so much about like, how does this person approach the world? Like, how do they, like, how do they, um, like if there's no one else in the room, how do they interact with like a cat? You know, like, like a new cat they've never met before and it's a weird cat. Like how do they, you know, like do they, do they just like jump up and like grab them? Do they like kind of like spend some time in the room with them? Kind of like both throwing side eye all over the place, you know? Like I think that's mine. A lot of staring. <laughs> a lot of staring and judging. Yeah. <laughs> but like that, tell, like just like in, in like the, yeah, so many people are just like jump in and like the, like the, the person who like kind of like goes into a pool slowly is like very rare. Yeah. yeah. That's important. Like, a, a concrete example I can give is, like, I'm a hugger. <laughs> <laughs> and I've learned not everyone likes to be hugged. Mm -hmm. And to be able to thought, like, you know, that breaks the ice and makes mm -hmm. me seem really nice and approachable. But, like, you hate being hugged. That, like, makes you hate me from mm -hmm. the get-go, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, like, figure that out. And I let people come to me. And when they're all being awkward about it, like, oh, are you okay with this? I'm like, oh, yes, please do. <laughs> you know? And then if they don't, then I know that that's not what they're <laughs> yeah, I always ask like, "Are you a hugger?" And then if they are like, if they like pause at all, I'll be like, "What about a high five? And then, yeah. <laughs> that, that's usually because like I remember I coached this kid and he it was like on the spectrum and I was just like very acutely aware like he's not a hugger. Yeah. And so like just like what's high five? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've been talking like basically through all of sunset. I know. It's wonderful. It's crazy. We have had we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered blackness. We've covered. Uh, like grandmother or grandparent relationship and uh, I think this was a really cool conversation yeah I thought it was great I'm so glad that you invited me to do this me too and uh, I want to give you the space for the last few moments the last few minutes uh, to address the audience whoever's listening uh, whether it is uh, maybe your younger sister maybe it is somebody who's struggling uh, going through med school and just dying uh, or maybe it's somebody who is struggling with their own blackness uh, or maybe it's your own grandchild who listening deep in the far future who knows who they are when what what, what they're doing but uh, i want to give you the space to uh, address the audience uh, last few minutes last few moments the floor is yours hmm. i guess the summary of everything that i've said that i think is what i would want to walk away from leaving is figuring out what matters to you because whether it's in all those 
um, subjects that we've brought up, like the world throws a lot at you, you know, whether it's from med school or racially, whatever, and it's easy to get bogged down in thinking what you need to be, what you should be, and figuring out what you want to put out there in this world, what you can put out there is what at the end of the day I think will get you through any type of situation. Those are good. good <laughs> Camille, this has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, this has yeah. been Camille on Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs>